Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Whoa, listen to that. Sounds like you goes Orions have been practicing. Practicing without old Glenn, obviously. None of you boys gave me a call to let me know there was a band practice earlier. I would have shown up if I got the call, but anyway. I was touring down the road and I made a turn that wasn't right. I found myself lost adrift in the Minnesota night. When all my hope was lost in a deep-rooted chill, there appeared a festive mansion decked in trim upon the hill. The fire looked so warm, the party glowed with joyous light. And just a smiling at his mansion door, I saw a grappling sprite clad in Christmas sweater. Was this Minnetonka shooter? He's got 30 years, born and bred, a barn brawling tutor. He said he's the only reason that Christmas Day is here. No, Santa won't be going over burn again this year. M I N N E S O T A. H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S, that's Christmas Day. V-E-R-N-E-A-W-A. Have a grapple on the carpet and a sizzle and job that sounds like Christmas Day. Has anyone seen old uh, Ron Trongard at the party? I'd sure love to, oh my God, he's face down in the punch bowl. Uh, Mr. Belushi, Mr. Belushi, would you mind just lifting that? Oh, Greg, it's you, just a... Greg, I don't know if you can, but can you summon the strength to lift that drug-addled old man out of the punch bowl? This one wild party. Now with his back to the corner stood a hulk of a man. Mustache, homemade t-shirt, darting eyes and tan. He said, Vern won't let me run wild. I'm a trendsetter. So fuck old Vern, fuck his towns, and fuck his Christmas sweater. Vern just smiled, took his 90 presents, that nimble little looter. He only welcomed Hulk to dinner because Kathy needs a suitor. I really hope that Larry Nelson just stays out in his car. It's the safest place for plowing lines and ring rats by far. And where'd the Zumhoff family go? Does something seem not right? It's probably best to just not ask once Buck puts out the light. M-I-N-N-E-S-O-T-A C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S That's Christmas Day B-E-R-N-E-A-W-A Apple on the carpet and a sizzle in chalk that sounds like Christmas Day.
It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast with Jack Encarnacio and J.P. Sorrow. It's still real to me, damn it. The Lapsed Fan. In all my years in professional wrestling, I've never seen anything like it. Oh, my God. Drop kick in a beauty. The last fan man, number one in the ring. Forget about the sorrow, we the real king of swing. When the bell goes ding, you can kick like me. Thrown in the corner with a splash like sting. Even Jerry King will take off the crown. Nodding his head like it's D-Low Brown. We can get low down, but we go even higher. Flip you on your head, but you know cool driver. You be spitting more knowledge, dragon spits fire. Leave you more shocked than when Edge retires. Dropping more truth than we kind of sniper. Bless you with a coconut, Roddy. Piper, Jack and JP, be like JYD, drop the cupcakes and gluten, the brain by beans, the best podcast from start to close, if y'all benefit, here's a five second pose. Boss, we're going back to the territories for the final episode of 2020. Oh yes we are. It is, uh, it's a good feeling, we launched Christmas in the Territories last year as the WWE Network had dropped a slew of territorial December 25th and thereabouts events and... We spent some time in several different territories, but the snowiest among mm. them, the most uh, folksy among them, <laughs> had to be the AWA, well, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah, when you're in Minnesota, you know, that's, that's, you know, we know, we know, we know Christmas, we know the holidays. You know, I, I tell you, I've been been in this business thirty years. Yep. Born and bred Minnesotan. And, that's accurate. Uh, and uh, I don't mind telling you, you know, uh, I, the, uh, Christmas is Minnesota. Minnesota and it's all, Christmas. And it's always a white Christmas Damn in Minnesota, right. <laughs> is it not? That's what all my neighbors say. December 25th, 1983. And so, you know, we're dicking around. We're like, what are we going to do? Let's bring back yeah. Christmas in the territories. We got this week here after dropping Survivor Series 1990. What a monster that show was. And we're thinking, and you, also, know, well, you know, yeah, you know, something, something simple, something that's not too crazy. Right. Over the top. And, and, and you look at, you know, the December 25th AWA shows on the network that we haven't done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is a short one. It's only like an hour or so. And so right, this it's is like good. We did, the, is... we did the previous one, you know, yeah. that, that it's listed as 81, but it's really 82. So we're like, oh, let's just, you know, keep on doing them in order and whatever. And Yeah. So it's it's light lifting to close out the year. It's Christmas time. You know, we're more in a, a mood of, you know, festive kind yeah. of consider this more yeah. like a, a happy hour on Zoom yeah. than, a, than, a, than a podcast. Exactly. And uh, then we realized this is the most historic show in the entire <laughs> fucking history of the lapsed fan. I was, that's how it always turns out. You know, when I, I whenever we do, no matter what show we do, yeah, I always um, before after I my my process is this: I prep my pages in my you know before watching the show, I prep it match match listings i all my notes you know where it is year date commentary team um the death toll everything's right there and then after that my next thing is i want to see some thoughts see if people have thoughts on these on these shows and so i'll go back and 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 you know, oftentimes go to uh, go to Scott Keith and and see what he has to say about stuff if he's got it, and if not, I find somebody else, just to get an idea as to what I should be looking out for. And as I'm going through Scott Keith's review, just keep going down, 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 and then he talks about this 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 little break here where with Blackjack Glanza and Mean Gene yeah. and yeah. and then 
And then it's oh like, you know, God. he makes a joke out of it and says, you know, it's like, oh, you know, they talk about the, the bunkhouse match. Lancer doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about and this and that. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Hulk Hogan's not in here. He's going to be in Japan. Wow. Like, like all in small type and stuff. And I was like, it's like, oh, that's funny. I was like, oh, 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 shit. That's- Right. I threw this sucker on thinking, you know, it's Nick Bockwinkle and Mad Dog right. Vashon in the main event. This is as 1970s, uh, you know, as it gets. Just it's as 1970s in the 80s you can do. <laughs> exactly. Beautifully put. That's exactly what I was trying to say. So this is light lifting, you know. And then Gene Okerlund says that Hulk Hogan is still in Japan <laughs> and won't be here. And I look, at the, I look at the year again, and I'm thinking Hogan is on his way to New York. Yeah. Well, St. Louis, but to the WWF as we speak, pulling the rug out from under Vern, and this is the show where they pretend that they don't know that yet. This is the show where they just decide that we'll still draw that Christmas house and not tell people Hogan isn't going to be here, oh, even though we know God. it already until they're already in the building. And, uh, and just the entire wrestling business changes. And we talked about it in the life and death of the AWA, which, of course, uh, the first event on that journey was the 1983 Super Sunday show, which took place Easter weekend of 1983 yep. with Hulk Hogan and Nick Blockwinkle for the AWA championship. An infamous show in terms of, you know, that was the moment to put the belt on Hogan and make the AWA it's perhaps. Like, the- it's like that, that you know, you look, I can, I can definitely, after watching this, and I'm sure after we're done talking about it, that I will be able to say that, that like, 83, that was the moment. You know, Hogan, that Super Sunday not giving him the title, that was definitely a moment. But it probably could have been salvageable. It probably could have been salvageable. Yeah, you don't hear the territory die that night. You no. just know, looking back, that they missed their shot. But it's like... Because Hogan would have taken the belt if they offered it to him, no strings attached. It's basically like they they stabbed themselves in the back. Of course they did. Forgot the knife was there. Mm-hmm. And then on Christmas Day... Went yes. to go lay down on the floor, and they yes. plunge the knife further into themselves. And we wish you a Merry Christmas right, right down to the Chanhassen, right down to the Lake Minnetonka estate. It all uh, gets significantly damaged. I mean, this show, not only is Hogan's absence conspicuous, Okerlund would be gone in, in days. And he's the he's like the heart of this Christmas night show. He's out there in the classic AWA yep. bright red blazer. Yep. He is your MC for the evening. He is yep. the voice. People watched AWA television, which was notorious for being among the worst territorial weekly wrestling shows in the business throughout uh, the 70s and 80s in the territorial era in particular, because it was just so it was just promos and the matches were always so kind of stodgy and slow paced. And it just it just wasn't a high action territory. The promos were pretty damn good, but it just wasn't the most entertaining hour of wrestling you could find if you were, you know, sampling the country in a tape trading capacity. But it was Gene Okerlund being the kind of guiding hand like a Gordon Soley mm-hmm. that would make everything seem uh, that much more worthy of your attention. Yeah. Uh, th- that much more worthy of a close inspection. When Gene had the mic, you felt like something was going to get drawn out of these wrestlers that you wanted to hear. Right. And his his, his leaving the company was a complete devastating blow. Mm-hmm. We see Bobby Heenan. We do. Uh, just completely flex his contributions to the AWA, mm-hmm. just bumping and soaring and bringing these people in St. Paul out of their fucking seats. He's gone. In the next year, we see Jesse Ventura uh, almost casting a spell as a heel yeah. uh, in the in the match, catcalling, barking at the fans, just drawing the kind of heat that it, you know 
you would think everybody would draw back in the day when they were heels, but no, this is, this is a higher level of heat, yep. a higher level of, of vitriol he drew out of the people against Steve Olsonowski. He's gone um, for, the, for the WWF in, in the matter of a year. Uh, so many, this is like the last vestige uh, in so many ways. This Christmas night, 1983 show at the St. Paul Civic Center uh, auditorium, whatever it was, is the the skeleton that Vince McMahon picked the last bit of meat off of yeah. and went hard and strong in 1984. I mean, from, did, from uh, jump. Did Vince ever want Brad Rangins? You know, that was one I think he left on the table. Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, no, I know he did, but I wasn't sure if he... Uh, if he even he, brought if in Mad Dog. We joked about Mad Dog. You yeah. brought him in. Yeah. You brought him in. Mad Dog with Sean. Unbelievable. He brought in Nick Bockwinkle, more as in a commissioner and uh, official role than uh, you know, backstage kind of agent role mm-hmm. than anything else. But it, it's just, it's amazing. Uh, you know, this show wasn't available to us when we did the life and death of the AWA. This no. came out on, on a hidden gems drop that they did around Christmas. Yeah. Right around yeah, the they, theme they of this. The whole, they dropped a bunch of Christmas shows sometime last year, I remember. And, and this just, is was like. Oh, we gotta we gotta touch upon these, and there were so many, so there many. There were so many. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like there was, there was enough. There was enough AWA shit dropped to do a second, <laughs> to do a whole to revive the, whole the AWA, the AWA yep. for another life and death. It totally was, and if I remember correctly, they kind of themed it as twelve days of Christmas. So it was like twelve different Something shows like that. Yeah. Uh, that they went to the archives and found, and we're grateful for it because this is. A massively historic show for the transition of Hogan to the WWF and the and, AWA kind and, of. And can I tell you something? This is what's mm-hmm. so fucking amazing. This is what's so fucking stupid about about the the people who run the network. This show has so oh much. Oh my god! Is so important. Is so important in terms of context and historical value. Yet on not only is it is is the Hogan thing not even mentioned in the description. Not even mentioned. In, 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 you know, but they don't even call it a show. They call it a match. Like if you go just like going through the holiday, they have like a holiday um, themed section of the Hidden Gems. It's just called Nick Bockwinkle versus Mad Dog Vachon. It's an hour long show. Can they you make you think that this? it's an hour long match. And they do yeah, this a lot open... on the network. They do this a lot. Ugh. Like you have to you go open look. the file and you realize the time the timeline starts at like fifty two minutes for the match. Yeah, you're right. like, oh shit, this is the whole event, but they don't present it as such. Look, look. How hard is that? Fucking get on this. When you go to the network and you type in the search bar AWA Christmas nineteen eighty three, this should come up. When I type in Dusty Rhodes Hall of Fame speech, his Hall of Fame speech should come up. What the fuck? I mean, wasn't this figured out like but, 15 years ago from an SEO perspective? But like it's that and everything else. Like there are so many. If you go on there and you see a uh, on the in the hidden gems and you see a match option that is longer than 20 minutes, chances are it's an entire show. Absolutely. And if and look, if you're too lazy to to do what I just described, Get a calendar feature now. Put somewhere on the on, on the fucking network where I can see like January nineteen eighty three, and I have one, two, three, all four, the, January, all the dates of January. I can click on a day if I do my side research to figure out what date the event I want took place on, and I can click and see everything that's dated on that day that's available in the network and find it that way. Until you do that, 
you are not earning the money. I yeah, mean, the, the, because the fucking the calendar feature should be there yes. anyway. Yes. Yes. It, I mean, it, it should it's, be. It's there. amazing. Like, you should be able to how... list. You should be able to put down, you know, a, have a count. Like you said, have a calendar out there and years and whatever and just be able to find every show that happened years. on one that's day. That's all I want is years. It's so, it's that's so right. easy. They don't want to commingle it. You know, they want to like make WWE the only thing that's catalogable that way and all the other stuff you've got to triangulate it's, it, it seems like. Besides the pay-per-views when they first rolled those out, they did those by year. Uh, but you know, the gripes aside, the reason we're yeah. We're, we're tabling this matter is because, you know, we know you're going to want to watch this show in accordance with taking in this edition of TLF. No, it's not going to be easy, but it is somewhere in there in the WWE Network. Just you look for, for you know, Mad Dog Vachon versus Nick Bockwinkle, December 25th, 1983. Something should come up. You'll get there eventually. It might it's be a Bret Hart the... interview, but something will come up. <laughs> right. For the AWA Heavyweight Championship of the World. And... You know, despite the fact that we were hit with a bit of a surprise in picking this show and ending up, you know, uh, balls deep in, in history, uh, we do want to keep the the light uh, Christmas feel to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we are closing off a tremendously strange and difficult year where, Indeed. you know, people couldn't tell the difference between inconvenience and oppression and people realize that like unless you actually face people on a regular basis it's so much easier to act like you to dehumanize them and act like you don't understand a word they're saying and don't understand where they come from or where they are coming from uh it was a year where we were sort of reminded that uh it is that 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 a digital life is dystopian and not utopian (laughs) that if our engagements are exclusively digital we will eventually end up trying to kill each other in the streets and um, and so, yeah, great year, boss. Oh, yeah. 2020. We got our clarity. That fucking cast uh, staying erect all year uh, with no Fuck enhancement, yeah. no Roman, no, no Blue Chew, nothing no, like that. Nothing. Fully engorged throughout the year. And it's been so heartening to see the messages that have come in, particularly around the holidays, mm-hmm. you know, particularly around this month and last couple of weeks, actually, people with a little bit more uh, a little bit more of the heart in the throat you know, when writing to the chairman. Yeah. And, uh, and and thanking for all all we've done. And, and there's no shortage of ways to show appreciation for the lapsed fan in your life. Uh, you know, of course, a slew of T-shirts available um, at ProWrestlingTees.com slash lapsed fan. That's always evolving and taking Don't shape. Your jolly your jolly St. Fritz shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally Christmas on the money there uh, for the lapsed fan in your life, particularly the fan of the lamentable tragedy of world class mm-hmm. in your life. Um, you know, we have Cameo. Cameo.com slash the lapsed fan. It's been fucking uh, blowing up the last week. My God, we forget how up. Val- how valuable and desirable a Christmas gift that thing is for it, certain it, folks. It's been it's been wacky. Um just intense how you know, all the weird demands of people. The oh yeah. Weird taxing demands of people. The borderline the erotic fuck. asks. It's, it's it's neurotic or psychotic. Maybe a little <laughs> no, bit. I of said, both. I said erotic. Oh, erotic. <laughs> E-R-O-T-I-C. That's true, too. Approaching that at times, it feels no, like no it. One, no one asking for Ray Stevens coming yet on Cameo. <laughs> no, they already got that. That's true. They got that for free. And, uh, yeah, consider the, t- the, by the way, consider the clock ticking. <laughs> consider the sands draining on the hourglass of this fucking jukebox thing, because pretty soon it's going to be pay a Cameo for a jukebox. I mean, look, right. we're, in the, we're in the Christmas spirit, but 
<laughs> New Year's resolution: don't do every jukebox request because oh people uh, get carried away. And we'll uh, start all, yeah, it's a, instead of a DM, we'll have like a yeah. You know, you can, you can they have DMs on 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 sure. Cameo. You can instead we'll do like a musical <laughs> interlude or something. I mean, look, we can be bought and paid for, but we got to be. <laughs> We got to be bought and paid for. That's true. Uh, but you know, j- just an example of the kind of thing we're talking about on the cameo front. You know, we've got such tremendous fans, and, and at Christmas time, we think about them. I think in a different way in terms of this being an ecosystem. Sure. You know, this this started as just two people talking to a mic, hoping that people understood what we're talking about. When we yep. bring up the myriad feelings that wrestling can uh, associate itself with in your life, if you grew up a Hasbro era fan in particular. And it turns out that it's not just us talking to them, it's them talking to us that makes the show what it is. Yeah. And them helping us, them being as enthusiastic as we are. That, or about, them talking to each other, too. And talking to each other, that's, that's brilliantly put. And it was great to see a certain uh, captive uh, stable, if you yeah. will, of TLF super fans actually exchange a cameo as a gift to each other this year from your co-chairs. Uh, great to hear from uh, Blake, who's uh, about as true blue a lapsed fan as they come. Yeah talking about uh, that happening courtesy of Gabe, who's also uh, near and dear to the solar system's heart. You've heard him actually hang with us uh, oh, on, yeah. on some of our pa- Patreon journaling. Whenever we're live, we like to run into him. He's always in the in the sauce, so to speak, if not on the sauce. Or a little bit of both. <laughs> right. Yeah, or, yeah, uh, you know, or if it's, uh, if it's the golden steer, his face is literally in the sauce. <laughs> Um, that's when we know we're back to normal. Actually, actually when, when, at the Golden Steer, the sauce is in him. And, <laughs> that's when we know we're back to normal, boss, and yeah. we've got Golden oh, Steer you're damn fucking right. You know, and I you get know what their, I mean? You know, and I get their emails all the time. Of course you do. They need takeout oh, business. Oh, my God. Like, I get, the, you know, they're, 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 they're shipping steaks. They are oh. shipping steaks. I get an email, like, maybe once every couple of months, and they're like, you want some steaks? <laughs> we'll ship them to you. Only uh, costs like eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah, I'll tell you what you're the country. You're giving me a stake in the heart, is what you're doing, because you're mm-hmm. making me just realize how much how much I can't. Yeah, that's I think why nostalgia has been so in vogue through this pandemic is yeah. because it's like you want to reach so far back that it doesn't remind you of how different things are because it's such a distant memory. Yeah. That you know, but it's there's nothing worse than like watching a, a full stadium last year, right? It's like shit, like. That's all gone, and that was yeah. in such recent memory. Just looking at pictures, pictures I should say, from Christmas time last year. Mm-hmm. It's like our innocence, our family, innocence. You could, be fam- you could be with family and do shit. Everybody's oh. all over each other in every picture, and it's like the last thing you'd ever think about is the the very psychology of how we live changing such that there, that's now a moment of pause, and we don't know when that's going to stop. We know at a certain point. Perhaps when it's going to be safe and advisable, perhaps, if you yeah. subscribe to that way of thinking. But we don't know when that that instinct that was drilled into us in 2020, even if we resent the instinct, it's still there to keep yeah. distance. When What's the first day that that's going to go away? I hope it's next year. I'm not sure. But I'll tell you what. If we can't get physically close, TLF will still be you know balls deep in your ears there's there's no fucking problem with that so we stayed deep we went deeper than ever and uh it's because of great fans like this and 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 and, uh and blake wrote us saying you know uh, big papa gabe dropped a cameo on us with a tear in my eye this is the greatest moment of my (laughs) life 
In all seriousness, thank you guys. You find a way straight to the heart through the ass, and it's as real as it gets. We all found each other because we found you guys, a group of wrestling kids that had no one else to share it with, and now we do. You two Love are it. where it all started. Appreciate everything you guys do, and it is not taken for granted. We will all be here as long as you guys keep pounding ass. <laughs> one day, minstrels will pen songs about the co-chairs. Merry Christmas. If you see Santa Claus in your home, kill him. He's a pervert <laughs> and a sexual predator. Thank you, Howard. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, who's got fans like that? Yeah, exactly. Who's got fans that are so fucking on brand? Who's got fucking fans, you know, keeping an eye out to the fucking neighborhood watch <laughs> for Balls Mahoney. <laughs> Rest in peace. He's not even alive. But uh, we'll talk a bit more about that as well. Which on makes this it episode. that much eerier when you see him fucking wandering your streets in a Santa outfit. Oh, my God. So we got the Brajol. Oh, yes. Tell me about it. Oh, uh, well, Christmas uh, dinner time. I, I am. I'm very excited. We are. We are about to start prepping hard. Fuck it. For that. Uh, Clear public... out a week, bit brother. That's right. It's an Italian Christmas dinner, not an Italian Christmas donkey. The fucking <laughs> Dominic, the Italian Christmas brujol. Um, <laughs> Denucci. We got. Uh, yeah. So I'm. I'm. We're very excited. We got some. Uh, some ravioli from um, my my uncle. And his family, they made some ravioli. We picked some up. They gave us uh, a bunch, enough enough for uh, for four. Yeah, my my kid won't eat it, so enough for four people for sure. <laughs> so much for the tradition getting passed on. Yeah, I know, right? She's, you got to well, force hey, you know that. What? When I was her age, I didn't like it either. Yeah, I don't like ravioli. Yeah. In I, fairness, that's true. You know, yep. I could I could barely stomach that stuff. So I'll, yep. I'll wait. You know, there there came a moment when I literally realized that dough and Mm-hmm. Regat cheese and sauce and Romano cheese is the most heavenly thing in the world. And I say to myself, what the fuck was wrong with me? Why wasn't I eating this from the beginning? No, so true. It's the best. Um, so true. So many of my favorite foods I would never have touched as a kid. Oh, I know. I know. I, I, my wife can't believe it when I tell her that when I was a kid, I didn't like steak. <laughs> I didn't like steak when I was a kid. It Tremendous. tasted weird. And then uh, there was that moment. And there's a moment. It's like, oh, shit. This is mm-hmm. what it's supposed to taste like. I want it all. That's Give right. me that steak. Give it to me. All it takes is a little bit of like uh, that whisper of nostalgia. Yeah. The first time you're actually nostalgic for food. The first time you realize that a dish can take you back to a place that you didn't even realize you were loving when you were living it. Yeah. But God damn it, the thought of being back mm. there, it, it's these snapshots that, that, get, that get planted in our brain. And we don't even realize they're there until the yeah. smell activates them and we're like why that was such an innocuous moment why does that moment stand out to me why when i think of home the first picture is this why is that it was a day where nothing was happening it was a day where there was you know what i mean that's that's that's, that's, those are the days those are those are the best days when nothing was happening you can just sit there and experience the day-to-day life that's that's where it all matters so true Um, i always have this thing of like you know how the sunlight can come in late afternoon and if it hits a certain room just right, mm-hmm. and someone like sits on a couch or rustles mm-hmm. the rug, mm-hmm. there'll be that fine dust that you can only see yep. in the air if the sunlight is shining through really hard, real yep. bright beam. Yep. That's what I think of, those moments yep. where I'm just so, uh, so without burden, so without obligation mm-hmm. that I can just look at that dust particle in the air and, and let it sink into the point that I can sit here. 30 plus years later and remember it. And that's that's happening to us every day. And it's nice when we realize that, yeah. oh, that one stuck. 
that that moment stuck. The um, uh, the moments that are going to stick from this, I can tell you right now, are going to be. I've never noticed this before. I mean, you know, there's not much different in the decorating of of my parents' house um, internally, externally. Mm-hmm. Definitely, there's been a a change since we've been here. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but internally. There's nothing I like better about this time, and it's gonna it's gonna stick with me forever now, of the house being lit only by the Christmas, Christmas decorations. Huge, yep. huge miracle. Candles in the windows. Fuck the you know, tree. Look, the, 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 well, mm. my dad's got a bunch of trees around the house, just like, and just that warm glow that those lights provide. It's it's a game changer. It's a game changer, and uh, we hope you can find that for yourselves this holiday season because it, it's it's warranted and it's it's good and it's and it nourishes the soul at a time right. that it's very sorely needed. And I guess you got up on a ladder too, boss, huh? <laughs> that I did. Uh, so for the first time ever, my dad's never been one to do this. He's very classy conservative with his decorating but i was like no i want lights in the house if we're here i want lights in the house i want i want the the led versions of the big fat christmas lights clark griswold ladies and gentlemen yeah um i love those fucking those ones and so i said i wanted to line the roof with them just line the roof you know but to do it right you got to go up and down you know they uh, the garage has got a second kind of attic space and it goes up you know my classic new england triangle up there so you gotta go up and then down and we got i got the tallest ladder that i've ever been on and it's one of those you know it's not one it's not a uh, you know like a ladder match ladder it's one that rests against a a wall and you climb up it and so i'm going up and you know, those of you who've seen me or seen pictures of me, you know I'm not a small guy. And I'm going up probably, I'm probably up about 15 feet. And the thing was, my, my dad has a wreath right in the front of the of the garage. And so that's where I needed to get to get to the point. And unfortunately, because the ladder I had to go on the wreath, <laughs> right? So it wasn't flush against the wall. So it wasn't completely stable. So I'm climbing up slowly. I'm getting there. And then I'm getting to the point where I'm feeling comfortable. I'm like, okay, this is kind of where I got to be. But I'm still just a little too far down to, to drive a nail up high to put the lights. And so I go up one more. And then all of a sudden, I can feel the ladder going back. Oh, my God. I want you to know, we should mention that at this point, I told Boss to stop when he was telling me the story, (laughs) save the rest for the air. So from this point forward, I am as riveted as you are. As the ladder tilts backwards, go. Fortunately, I didn't fall. Wow. Because I was like, I mean, I got petrified. I was like, oh, shit. Like, no, no, no. Oh, I know the look on your face. I can see it right now. Yeah. And, like, my heart was pounding, and I was like, oh, my God, if I fell backward i literally would have fallen on and crashed through the roof or the uh, the hood of of my dad's car and it would have been disastrous and painful yeah. and i might have died 
And so I was like outside Duncan's choy chest on Christmas Eve. Yeah, exactly. So I I, I just went back and I was like, you know what? I'm going to step down. Yep. I'm going to step down. Uh, This is as high as I can get. My dad being the fucking, you know, he's a perfectionist asshole sometimes. It's like, no, no, no. You got to get higher. I said, dad, I can't get higher. No, 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 no. You got to go higher. You got to keep it in the middle. You're you're too low. I said, dad, I'm going to fucking die if I go up there. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and? (laughs) And so I said, no, this is it. I'm nailing it here. Boom. And that was it. And I said, you go up there now. I'm done. And I made him go yeah. up and down for like the, the, the high points. Because then we realized too, we get down there and we realize, oh shit, the weight limit's like 200 pounds. I'm like, oh. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> testing the limits there. I was like, oh shit, I should not be up on this ladder. Oh, but uh, then we ended up yep, going around the entire front of the house and then my dad my dad goes out there and is like, no, that one, no, you got to fix that. No, no, no. See how it's straight over here? You got to make that straight. All will be forgotten when the brujol comes. Oh, out. that's exactly right. What's up? What's for dessert? That's a good question. What do we? Oh, I know. My mincemeat pie. Oh my god! Talk to me, boss. Oh, I, I'm. I, I. This is big. This isn't a small deal. No, this is like a, a several deal. week preparation. This has been a yes. It has been. So I got all my ingredients. So, <laughs> so I had to make. Um, so I, I read this recipe about traditional mincemeat and. I think I talked about this and how, you know, the other recipes are all bullshit and like modern mincemeat is not really good mincemeat. And so I I read this recipe and it was like you got to use, you know, uh, uh, beef and lamb and all these other things. I said, wow. great, that sounds awesome. And then all if the, you're not if you're not spices. reaching for the recipes in A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. <laughs> right. You're wasting a lot right. of Christmases. You're wasting your life, basically. Um, and you're wasting every Christmas. And so <laughs> then I, uh, so, but then one of the things was it said, you, it said, so you, one of the ingredients is uh, candied uh, uh, orange and lemon peels. Peel, yeah. The zest, and if I, you will. Well, no, it's the, but it, yeah, but it's the candy. You don't, you don't zest it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you chop, right. Whole, but you, yeah. So you have to, I'm like, it says, don't. Don't nope. use the the pre the pre the prepared ones. Make your own. Oh my god! I was like, all right. Well, you know, I want to do it right. And as I'm reading the recipe for that, because it does give a recipe, it says that they have to stay out and dry for like two or three days. So I'm like, let alone the fact that the mincemeat to get the real flavor of the mincemeat needs to be needs to basically be chilled in a jar. For two weeks. So I'm like, oh my God. So I have to go and I, I make the orange peels. I wait like three days until the fucking, the, everything's really dry and everything. And I'm like, okay. I go and I mix everything and it smelled amazing. Yes. Everyone always complains about mince pies, but I'll tell you. I, um, after it was done, so I, I, I cooked it all for like a couple hours, put it in, uh, put most of it in a jar, put some of it in a small uh, uh, Tupperware because I wanted to try it because I was like, I got to know how this tastes. Yes, yes. I was nervous, you know. And? I was nervous. It was so good. It was heavenly. I'm so like, what, what's actual meat with the sweets? Like, I can't even put myself there. I mean, it's, it's so the real. What, f- what predominates, the savory or the sweet? 
it blends perfectly because you put in this, like I said, beef, lamb. I put in a little bit of veal because we had it and um, uh, 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 fucking. Brichol. Not, not Brichol. Um, we put in. Um, uh, Sorry, I don't care that Lamb. Lamb. Oh, lamb. and uh, beef fat. Yeah, you got to put beef fat in. And, of course. You know, and so I had to get that. And, and it just like all these things, all the sweet things. <laughs> is br- there's like a ton of brown sugar. There's yeah. um, obviously the orange the, you know, the orange and lemon peels and fruit and mm. almonds and all this shit. And it all goes in there. But it all cooks in this beef fat. So it's just crazy. And then I went and... Um, yeah, so it was like all cooking. It's still out there in the jar right now. And I, I, I tried a little piece the next day. It was so good. And I said, this is going to be so good, even better, when it's in like a flaky, buttery crust. Right. It's going to be bonkers. <laughs> so I'm very excited. Well, uh, I tried figgy pudding for the first time this year. Did you? I did. I'm quite proud of myself. It was a lovely little morsel. All of- right. Sticky 1850s London. <laughs> Did you wear a top hat? Well, when I you... serve it, I'm going to insist that people speak in a British accent uh, before they can have a bite. You're damn right. But yeah, I mean, come on, folks, and bring us some figgy pudding. You know, mm-hmm. let, let's go. I mean, let's let's make these lyrics mean something for our families and that's the next right. generation. Uh, so yes, that that's what's up. Uh, shaved dark chocolate <gasps> in there. That's key. I find that that's key. I don't have anything to compare it to necessarily, mm-hmm. but I know when I've had Christmas puddings, um, it's kind of been like, "What's mm-hmm. missing here?" You know, this isn't this isn't sweet enough. It's it it's yes. too fruity. It's yes. it's it's it, there's no richness to it, and that did the trick. Yes, so. yeah, and that's a thing too. I've noticed about um, uh, uh, that I've read about with mince pies with mince meat is that they, yeah, it's mostly. Like instead of using meat, people use raisins and other things like that. And raisins are already in the recipe, but if you don't use meat, you put in extra raisins. I'm like, oh god. Yes. To me, what was always, what always sounded so good was the idea that it is actual meat, and you are absolutely creating this this dessert with. Look, savory until meat. you said that, I didn't realize it was a shoot that it was yeah. actually originally meat. Yeah. I really just thought it was a term they came up with for just this. There's so many. Uh, fruits mashed together that it has a meat like kind of consistency no, there's, there's to it. actual meat in it well so, it's going to be excited. we're gonna do what we can this christmas to keep christmas well you're, da- you're damn any, right as anyone who celebrates uh you know w- wants to be worth their fucking body weight uh would do mm-hmm. and um and so we wish the same to you out there and, and thank you so much uh, fans for uh, mm-hmm. keeping the the ship not only humming but growing. I mean, oh, yeah. we are COVID proof here at TLF. I mean, that's that's <laughs> abundantly clear. And um, in keeping with the spirit of you know Christmas revels and Christmas specials, we uh, are going to uh, welcome in a guest later because we want to really get that sense of true Minnesota. No, oh, absolutely. Right? We really want as best we can to take our fans to. To the ground zero mm-hmm. and, and the sub-zero temperatures of Minnesota. So later on, we'll be joined by our producer, TJ DeSantis, who you've heard from in the past, uh, who's a Minnesotan through and through. And he's going to take us a little bit through mm. kind of the traditions. There's actually 
quite a moment where there's uh, a bonding with the boss over that Christmas Day Italian oh, yeah. feast. Mm-hmm. Um, but also uh, a dad, and TJ, who had this classic TLF-style love-hate relationship with wrestling mm-hmm. and straight-up Vern Gagne, AWA, St. Paul, every month wrestling fan in this particular it. era. Unbelievable. In, in the era where so many of Vern's guys, as TJ Stat would call them, went over to Vince and how sour a taste that seemed to have left in his mouth. And we're going to put ourselves right smack dab in the middle of that transition here on Christmas in the Territories as December 25th, 1983 was the point where it was clear that this ship is being abandoned mm. and uh, Vince McMahon is now going to make a full throttle push with your favorite wrestlers. Correct. Getting, getting that New York money. And he's coming to your building with the guys you've been coming to see for 10 years, and you're going to give him the money Correct. instead of the promoter that's been in the city for 40 years. Oh, fuck yeah. And so that's, uh, that's all to come here this week, and uh, we're proud to bring it to you. But, you know, we want to not forget Christmas in the Territories, despite the historical significance. We want to start, or at least I do, Poss, mm. with a reimagining of what it would be like to... Wake up in Minneapolis on Christmas morning, 1983. Reagan's in the White House. Grenada's been inv- invaded by U.S. armed forces. Uh, it's the coldest December on record out there in wow, Minnesota. No kidding. Yep. Um, it looks like December 1983 was the uh, coldest month ever. This is an article from 2008, um, and it reads, uh, it is the only December... 1983, that is, with a statewide average mean temperature that was below zero degrees, 0.8 degrees Fahrenheit. That is the average mean temperature in December 1983 for the state of Minnesota. That's a monthly mean value that is 15 degrees Fahrenheit less than the modern normal for December. The persistent cold spell was amplified by a snowy month that produced snow depths around the state that ranged from 10 to 30 inches. Furthermore... The week leading up to Christmas Day, December 18th to the 24th, was one of the coldest weeks in state history, with a mean statewide temperature of minus 17 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, it's not even I mean, February yet. That's not even and enjoyable. It, oh, my that's God. That's not enjoyable for Christmas. I People like a little were, cold for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Well, you think you do. Yeah, right. I mean, like a but little these cold, people had, a lot of cold. But these people had to brave to get to the matches. These people have brave to exit their houses. I mean, I love wrestling, but I don't want to dress up like Ralphie's fucking kid brother to get there. <laughs> Poor Randy. You know what I mean? But oh, uh, that's kind of, if you can picture in your mind's eye, kind of the the feeling. And there's no surprise that in the glimpses we do get on this broadcast of the fans in attendance there at St. Paul Civic, how many are wearing their coats and winter <laughs> they're hats. They're fucking freezing. Hilarious. Unbelievable. So definitely something that anybody in wrestling who worked the AWA for any length of time comes away talking about. I mean, especially these country boys, like when Dusty went up there growing up in Texas, mm-hmm. it's like they just they cannot believe that people like voluntarily deal with that every winter, that that's, uh, that that's considered like life's normal rhythms, that it can get that balls cold and people just shrug it off mm-hmm. and just accept that it's the way life is. Um, and anybody who went through Vern and, and, that, and everyone did, every major star did, because it paid beautifully that territory. Sure. And you had the summers off because, you know, everyone runs through the winter 
And it's so goddamn cold that when summer comes, nobody wants to do anything. Everyone is in vacation mode, it seems like, much more than in states with more moderate winters. And uh, and so that was another perk of working for Vern. Because summer, you could hit another territory, go to Japan or whatever, and really rake in more dough. So um, everyone did their tour. Everyone dealt with the cold and the snow. And on this night in 1983, folks from superstar Billy Graham, who's on the card, and kind of his curtain call Looking more his and more career. like Christopher Daniels in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Martell's on there, of course, a longtime AWA exponent. Uh, Bockwinkel, of course. Uh, the High Flyers, Brunzel and Ganya on the card. Baron Von Raschke actually gets the phone call from Olvern because Hulk can't be there. And when Hulk can't be there, boss, you call the Baron. Yeah, if you um, can't get the real American, get the real German. Get the real the real Nazi, as it were. Get the Nazi, the goose step. Goose step to babyface pops. I mean, oh, talk about God. the Christmas goose step, huh, boss? <laughs> Jesus. Say, Jesus Christ. Baron Von Raschke. Someone cooked the Baron. So, uh... So we need to imagine not only what it's like in terms of the weather and the climbs mm-hmm. and the traditions and and the smells, mm-hmm. but also what it would be like to be a dad mm. that's 45, wearing slippers, <laughs> looking like Ralphie's dad in A Christmas Story, going to the matches tonight, the kids mm-hmm. just opened the presents, and I got a little time to myself. It's about 10.30, you know, the morning uh, glow of, the, of the, the crisp, crisp, cold mm-hmm. as fuck air mm-hmm. is, 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 is clear through the window, but I've got my heat's on, you know, I've got no issues, I'm toasty. And things are as they should be. Everyone still has sleep in their eyes from getting up extra early. Of course. To see what Santa hath brought. And um, mom is still in her bathrobe, but she's already whipping up flapjacks. Fortunately, fortunately before the 1,000-year uh, <laughs> mark of Santa's uh, 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 deal with the saint or the oh. angel. <laughs> as we learned on Under the Cinemat this week, <laughs> available now, Santa's Sleigh featuring Bill Goldberg. Get on it. A cult classic uh, for that executive producer tier. And if there's anybody we need to thank this year, it's folks in that tier. Mm-hmm. Because, man, did they did they send us off into 2021 with conviction that Fucking we're doing the up. right thing. That's right. That that the extra effort we put in and the hours sunk and the personal time sacrificed is actually being reciprocated by a solar system that says, yeah, you guys are going to work that much harder. We'll give you that much more money. If it doesn't work that way, it doesn't work at all. That's, we're out here to yep. survive as well as to thrive. But so with, you know, that picture of domestic bliss firmly in place in the Twin Cities, now Dad sits down to the newspaper. <laughs> you know, he's got a little time. So he sits down, <laughs> as this is, to the Tribune, to the Trib, the Star Trib. The, uh... What do we got going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want you to listen, boss. All right. What do we have here? The Star Tribune. Yeah. Thanks, dear, for oh, yeah. coffee. <laughs> Vern is getting served, baby. Vern has never been more robed. That's exactly it. He got a bowling ball to the crotch for Christmas. And, uh, all right, let's see here. What do we have? Uh, Christmas Day paper. Uh, hmm. December 25th. Many faceted genetic revolution begins in medicine. I'll read that one later. Oh, honey, here's a story by Margaret Zach. Joy still breaks in on it, joy still breaks in on a cold Christmas. Let's see what we have here. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, you ain't shitting me. What's that, son? Greg, oh, sure. Greg, yeah, just... Greg, shut the fuck up. I'm reading the fucking paper. <laughs> Dad, Dad. 
Greg, yeah. Greg, please. It's Christmas fucking morning, all right? <laughs> it's the one day of the year I can sit back and relax. Don't be a bitch. <clears throat> Let's check this out here. Uh, Minnesotans seem to be getting through Christmas Eve with high spirits and little injury, despite the continued assault of low temperatures and stiff wind. <laughs> little injury. That's that's a fucking headline yeah. right there. Wait till tonight at the Civic Center. Yeah, that's right. Lots. For of example, Connie and David. Ba- this is front page, by the way. Connie and David Balcom of Edina had a special reason to be happy about bundling up and trudging to the airport. I didn't, I didn't know they owned Edina. <laughs> hey, honey, you, you know Connie. Yeah, she's in the paper. Oh, no shit. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I almost went to the roof when I saw it. Hey, honey, do, do we have pop? <laughs> I could... <laughs> I could really use a pop. Um, okay, yeah, so I think in the airport, their chi- their first child was to arrive from Seoul, South Korea. Look at that. It was the sheerest coincidence that sometime back they had named him Nicholas. Oh, geez, that's Christmassy. The, 18th mo- the 18-month-old boy was to arrive about 5.30 p.m., but later the Balcoms learned that the plane was behind schedule. They were hoping he would arrive by midnight. Nicholas Hyun Seok, his name means wisdom rock, was left outside the Eastern Child Welfare Society when he was 15 months old. Oh, man. A note pinned to his clothing gave his date of birth. The Balcoms applied to adopt him to the Children's Home Society last spring. Wednesday, they were notified that Nicholas and two other children would be arriving Christmas Eve. Isn't that magical? Mm. God, you love to hear it. He probably won't be dressed warmly, Connie Balcom said, because the warm clothes are left behind for other children, but his new parents had a blue Peter Rabbit snowsuit waiting for him. That's a lucky lucky young Mm. guy. I think, honey, we can all be grateful this Christmas that there's still uh, such good-hearted people in the world. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm asking you to be Bobby's mom from Bobby's world. <laughs> More than a few adults might wish oh, today for yeah, a blue... Oh, yeah, <laughs> More than a few adults might wish today for a blue Peter Rabbit snowsuit in size XL. The National Weather Service was predicting a high of 6 below to 0 today for the Twin Cities, but with winds in the 10 to 20 mile an hour range. So not too bad, right? <laughs> yeah, not on the way. Definitely seen worse there, hon. <laughs> This is too much fun. <laughs> Highs elsewhere ranging from zero in extreme southern Minnesota to 10 below along the Canadian border. The Twin Cities low yesterday morning was 25 below. Can you believe that? Skies were expected to be sunny in the south, but Oh, you know something, hon? I forgot to tell you. You know, yesterday, uh, you know, Wally Carbo called. Oh, and, Wally! Uh, yeah, he oh, had Wally some Carbo. questions about tonight's, uh, you know, the fights tonight. So you might want to give him a call. The real fights or the, the pretend ones I do down there sometimes? Or the pretend ones. Oh, look at that. 25% off. Hey, honey, you got anything to return? Looks like they got a pretty good deal here at Service Merchandise in the mall. Hey, um... <laughs> hey, uh, honey, by any chance, are you going to come? Not with you, honey. Hi, Salesforce. Okay. The twin... <laughs> The Twin Cities' low yesterday morning was 25 below. Skies were expected to be sunny in the south, but flurries and possibly some light slow accumulation were due in the north. Lows tonight, predictions, were for 5 below to 12 below in the metro area. 5 below in southern Minnesota. Well, shit, might as well put on some suntan lotion, huh? Well, honey, if that seems... (laughs) Fucking summer. Be Be the first tan you ever got, honey. I mean, are you whole, are you bringing me a glass of milk, or is that just your hand? Ah, <laughs> uh, we ah uh, that that's old Minnesota. 
I mean, Minneapolis is a lot more diverse than it's ever been. I mean, look at the police force. If that seems severe, consider that Duluth's 21 below on Friday night was among the mildest overnight lows reported around the state yesterday. Others included 22 below in Hibbing and International Falls. International Falls, is that the rules for the match tonight with Mad Dog? <laughs> Two out of three International Falls. <laughs> international Falls. It's kind of like an international object, right, boss? It's right. What the fuck? It's Christmas time on that fucking cast. It's Christmas in the territories. AWA 1983. Although no snow fell in southern Minnesota yesterday, strong wind blew the deep dry snow on the ground Han? into the air. Han? Yeah? You know, I was talking to Darlene Bachwinkle the other day. <laughs> you know, we having dinner with them this week? That depends, honey. I don't know, uh, I don't know what well, their schedule's like. Well, they invited us out. They're going to have chops. We're going to go out for chops. And a hot plate? Huh? And a hot plate. We're going to get a hot dish. Hot dish, sorry, fuck, I fucked it up. God damn it, more to come on hot dish with TJ later, but trust us on that, okay? So we'll go over to the Backwinkles. <laughs> they invite us over for dinner sometime in the week. All right, honey, whatever the fuck you say, Jesus Christ. I'm so sick of this shit. We'll see what fucking happens. Darling's so sweet. Yeah, I agree, honey, thanks a lot. You know, We'll see what happens when we get the fucking shotgun out, then we'll see. It's been enough of this shit. Despite repeated warnings to stay inside or at least bundle up adequately, people kept showing up at Twin Cities hospitals yesterday with frostbite. Oh, jeez. Someone must have locked their kid outside the house for five hours. Don't run your hand under cold water there. Or hot water, is it? What is it, honey? When you get, when you get the frostbite, what are you supposed to avoid? What kind of water? Hot, hot or cold? Always so helpful. Cunt. All right. The Hennepin County Medical Center's emergency room reported Friday treating 12 people for frostbite. Oh, jeez, it's too bad. Well, it's quite a Christmas. Is this article just a series of uh, police blotters on page one? I think it must be Christmas Day. You know who called me the other day? Jean, uh, uh, Jean Oakland's wife, Jean. (laughs) Oh, did she, honey? Yeah, she's a cunt. A country gal, right? Yeah. She's, That's what I always she thought. She puts the cunt in country gal. It's all right. It's all right, kids. It, just pretend we live in the UK, and it's okay to say that word all the time. Yeah, it's fine. I know it's the no-no word, but that's... I'm going to have that, a glass of wine there, Vern. Oh, that's, there's a surprise, hon. Have another. Hey, there's this really powerful uh, editorial today uh, in the Star Trib. They're talking about tinsel. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, I'm just reading here. Uh, sentiment surrounds Christmas the way wrapping paper surrounds a gift that is easy to dismiss and discard, yet would be a deprivation to have to do without. No sensible person, we suppose, would throw away a gift and keep the wrapping, but sensible people also agree that a pretty package enhances its contents, however priceless. Likewise, no sensible person, Christian or otherwise, would ignore the Rabbi Jesus while cherishing instead the legends of his birth or songs about St. Nick, but most sensible people can also easily see that Santa and the shepherds add to, do not diminish, the life they celebrate. Christmas without its trappings would be Christmas curtailed. I Thus, the a inco- bunch of bullshit there, Vern. <laughs> Thus, the inconsequential magnifies what counts. So the inconsequential matters, too. That thought itself is far from alien to the Christmas spirit. Many may reject the cosmic meaning that Christians attach to a birth in a manger, but all can acknowledge that by consecrating the commonplace, Christmas strikes a note every century needs to hear. Perhaps especially the 20th century. Oh, thanks, hon. Appreciate that. Mm. Yeah. At the pop. 
uh, filled to surfeit with super wars, super powers, super technology, and super Greg, fears Greg, for the future stop of its. That. Stop! Stop ragging on your sister. Fuck. To elevate the ordinary is a focus of wonder, even of salvation, seems an act of sanity, not just sentiment. Would that such sanity could reign all year. For ourselves and for you, we hope it will. Don't throw away lightly the wrappings on your gifts. Don't take tinsel as a synonym for trash. Don't deride the humble as humbug. The transient outward mat marks of this season's inward spirit have a lasting lesson of their own to teach. Well, I don't know what the fuck that, that meant, but it, it sounded nice, honey. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah, it sounded real great. Uh, did you get the snowblower working again? We'll talk about that later. Why didn't you bring... Did, I thought you brought it into the shop. To sore spot. Laverne Gagney. Yeah, Shirley. Did Laverne you, and Shirley is more like it. Did you bring Did you bring the snowblower into the damn shop or not? No, I didn't. I didn't get to do it, honey. You know, it's, it's fine. I don't understand. You know, you're not. You're not. You're not wrestling every night like you used to. You know, you're sitting there on your bum. You go to the wrestling office once in a while, but other than that, you don't. <laughs> on your bum. Oh, look at this, honey. Uh, an ad for Children's Place. They got video game cartridges. Tunnel Runners only twenty nine ninety seven. They have Star Trek. They've got. I don't know. Those, those things seem like they're bad for the eyes. Nah, they're Atari games. They're they're actually kind of fun. I don't know. I, they may be fun, but you know, not everything fun is good from the Lord. Get get Battle Zone for twenty six ninety seven. Not a what bad. What is a idea. Battle Zone? I don't understand you get, that. You can get Frogger. I think you'll like Frogger. Yeah, Children's Place has got them. Brooklyn Center. Want to mm-hmm. go? I, I I guess we can go. Why are they open? They're not open today. It's Christmas morning. Well, I don't know what they're advertising then. Oh boy. Well, let, you know what? Before we. Before we go out for, uh, let me see here. What's in the sports pages? Uh, Greg named Not you. Packers. Steinbrenner won't appeal pine tar fine. Um, oh, well, look at this. Doug Grow. I'll come all ye faithful wrestling fans, but night won't be silent or holy. Christmas Day coverage, boss, of the show we're about to dive. Yes. <clears throat> Picture of Jesse Ventura. Jesse. The body Ventura. Let's see. Silent night, holy night, all is calm. Ellipsis. The writing stylings of Doug Grow. That's his <laughs> opening sentence. In italics. Jesse the body Ventura said he'll likely bust up Steve Olsenowski with the inverted body vice when the two meet tonight, Christmas night, at the Pro Wrestling Show. <laughs> R-A-S-S-L-I-N apostrophe. At the St. Paul Civic Center. Even the body, a nasty guy, cringes when he talks about the inverted body vice, cause that's a hold that inflicts severe pain. But you gotta do what you gotta do, even if it is Christmas. Oh, come, all ye faithful. Mm-hmm. It may seem incongruous, this whole notion of a pro-wrestling match on a day of peace on earth, goodwill to people, but it's a big, big night for wrestling, said local wrestling promoter Wally Carboy, who expects that more than 18,000 people to show up for tonight's show. It's a time when people are in, f- in a family way. We get a big family business on Christmas. Families from every walk of life. The evil one, Ventura, has some theories on why wrestling such big business on Christmas Day. See, said the body, the people have been to church. They've celebrated Christ's birthday. They've gone through about all the wholesomeness they can deal with. Yes. <laughs> I guarantee you, they'll be yelling the same obscenities they're always yelling. I love Jesse. Always getting to the heart of humanity, huh? Mm. Always calling people on their bullshit, even if it's homegrown Minnesota bullshit. Oh, I think organized religion is a sham. 
and Jesse, a crutch for weak-minded people. Jesse, I only have so many column inches. Can we just talk about the matches, please? I don't listen. I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about the real issues, the issues that come from the heart and come from the mind. I am cool. Jesse the body, Jesse the mind, Ventura. Yes. I was going to say, everything we've been talking about so far has come from the mind. <laughs> oh, holy night. Ventura isn't sure how he'll approach this Christmas match, although he'll almost certainly continue to wear the military-type clothing he began wearing a few weeks ago. He moved to military clothes from punk, although he's kept the six earrings, because he senses military is the shift of the country right now. You have to stay with the times or your routine grows old, Ventura said of his new costume. My success... That's why in seven years when I'm doing commentary, I'm going to wear a a Mickey Mouse shirt with Mickey Mouse ears. So that's why you're going to do it. I'm going to look like a dad. You got to keep with the times and car bombs and military stuff are in right now, he said. Car bombs. Not carbo, car bombs. Leave it up to Jesse to mention car car bombs in this article on Christmas Night Wrestling at the St. Paul Civic Center. So he will be wearing a military jacket when he steps into the ring. As a bow to the occasion, he might have ornaments instead of earrings dangling from his ears. I don't believe that ended up happening. Did it, boss? I didn't notice that. I don't think he did. Maybe that was just a joke. Couldn't really see with the lighting, but yes, not see much. Then. Other than that, it will be business as usual, meaning Ventura will be hoping the people hate him as much as, as he does. Evil things to Olsenowski. I'll be home for Christmas. Almost certainly, the 18,000 will be booing the body although he got a standing ovation when he scratched an opponent's eyes across the ropes in a recent television match. I think, explained the body, they love to hate me. Steve Olskanowski is a piece of shit. (laughs) Yes, print that. Um, Print that in your goddamn rag. What the 18,000 won't know is that Ventura will have been celebrating the joy of Christmas for three days. Friday night, he and his wife and two children sat under their Christmas tree and had an intimate gift exchange with each other. That would Christmas be Terry, Eve. Jade, and Tyrell. <laughs> all I can remember was Tyrell. Look at you go all the way with the first family of Minnesota politics. <laughs> On Christmas Eve, they shared gifts and good cheer with Ventura's in-laws. This morning and throughout most of the day, they were to be with Ventura's parents. I love Christmas, Ventura said, <laughs> even in Mexico City. It will stop being Christmas when he steps into the Civic Center. Then it will be another day at the office. And that means it will be grunting and groaning and hair-pulling time. Listen, I'm not going to be a bitch like Bob Cratchit. I don't mind working on Christmas Day. (laughs) I'm going to get the win. You can say that again. You don't mind working on Christmas Day. (laughs) It'll work at me this whole interview. I'm going to work a match on Christmas Day. And then I'm going to eat Steve Olsenowski for dessert. (laughs) He's a fucking idiot. Tastes like kielbasa. You're damn right. I got to forget about the joys of home. Oh, wait. It'll stop being Christmas when he steps into the Civic Center. I'm a third-party candidate, and I'm going to make Steve Olsenowski a third-tier athlete. Then it will be another day at the office, and that means it'll be grunting and groaning and hair-pulling time. I got to forget about the joys of home life for a while, Ventura said. Let's face it, people enjoy violent sports. I don't know why they just do. Looks to me like Calvin Griffith should be talking, taking lessons from us. He's got politicians, all those big people trying to help him. They're big. Can you look up for me, boss, who the fuck Calvin Griffith is? Thank you. Calvin Griffith. Um, he's got politicians, all those big people trying to help him. They're begging people to buy tickets. But the fact is, wrestling's red hot in the Twin Cities. Red hot. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We started running shows on Christmas several years ago, Carbol said. Uh, Calvin Griffith. 
Uh, let's see here. He was. Um, uh, he was a, a oh a major league baseball team owner, uh, majority owner and de facto general manager of the Washington Senators and the Minnesota Twins. The Twins. Uh, there you go. From yep. nineteen fifty five until nineteen eighty four. There you go. A year before stepping so, down, Ventura what... in the paper saying, "Looks to me like Kelvin and Griffith should be taking lessons from us." <clears throat> if we're going to do the full coverage of this man, he has allegations of racism that there we uh, go. have. Uh, Griffith became well-known for his public statements, wrote Sports Illustrated in 1983. Griffith long ago established himself as one of sports' most accessible and quotable owners. Mm -hmm. Reporters could rap on his door, enter and fill their notepads with sentences so coarse in honesty and so magnificently mangled in syntax that Mm -hmm. some began to enjoy him. (laughs) He was quoted last year as saying that rookie center fielder Jim Eisenreich was doomed to be an all-star. He'll either be the best baseball manager. <laughs> he'll be the best manager. That's awesome. Doomed to be WWE champion. That's right. He'll yeah. either be the best manager in baseball or the worst. He said uh, uh, when he gave a young Billy Martin his first manager job after the 68th wow. season. A that. year later, Griffith became the first owner to fire Martin, despite Ma- Martin's having led the Twins to 97 victories and the 1969 American League West Division title. Mm-hmm. The firing, which stemmed from, well, where's the racism here? That's what I'm going to hear about. Probably um, one of those rambling run-on sentences at some point. He just let out the uh, uh, a slur. Sure. I'm sure he did. Uh, let's see here. Allegations of racism. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, here we go. However, Griffith's off-the-cuff remarks landed him in more serious trouble in September of 1978 and drew charges of racism. Speaking at a Lions Club dinner in, in Waseca, Minnesota, Griffith was unaware that Minneapolis Tribune staff writer Nick Coleman was attending the gathering. The meeting proceeded in a, in a question-and-answer format. Griffith began to make comments about specific players and about race in general. Coleman is quoted as saying, I was wincing the whole time thinking, you don't want to say that. At that point, Griffith interrupted himself, lowered his voice, and asked if there were any blacks around. After he looked around the room and assured himself that his audience was white, Griffith resumed uh, his answer, stating, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why we came to Minnesota. It was when we found out you only had 15,000 blacks here. Black people don't go to ball games. He didn't say that. Huh? He didn't say that. But it's, it's quoted here. But they'll fill up a wrestling ring and put up such... Oh, such my God, no! No fucking way did that just happen! Holy shit! No way no did that just happen! But Are you serious? A, that's a, dead serious. But they'll fill up a wrestling ring and put and put up such a chant, it'll scare you to death. When See, that's... We, we well, came first of here all, because you've got good, hard-working white people here. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, did he... Did he say they fill up a wrestling ring? A wrestling ring. R-A-S-S-L-I-N-G. That's wrestling. Does he mean like arena? He must mean arena when he says that. I'm sure he did. And so this article is probably, is that dated, that comment? This comment. This is probably Jesse. from 78. Oh, all right. Well, that's several years on the vine at that point. But I wonder if Jesse was pushing back at that. Wow. You know? Tremendous shit. Tremendous. Thank you for that. What a surprise. That's a Christmas That's, surprise. That, that is a Christmas surprise. What a what a fucker. That's like a Christmas surprise here. I was going through this paper and I'm like, all right, we'll just kind of paint the picture of what it was like to wake up Christmas morning in Minnesota and then bang, an article about Jesse Ventura wrestling tonight. That's the holiday spirit. That's Christmas magic on that fucking cast. Final quote from Carbo. We started running shows on Christmas several years ago. It was a hit the first time. You see, the kids are tired of playing with their toys. Everybody just wants to get out of the house, and we've got something the whole family can enjoy. Uh-huh. Minneapolis Star Tribune, Christmas Day, 1983. The day in question, boss, and it's no small day. It's no small no, deal. not at all. Now, we want to acquaint ourselves with several things uh, about the AWA at this point in time and kind of feel the texture of the territory as well as run through the history. Uh, but one thing I also wanted to do was set a national uh, tone as well. Okay. We had done this uh, last time. We joined you for Christmas in the Territories three times last year. And uh, when I'm sending your way, I hope you can play for, for, for both of us and for the solar system. 
is President Ronald Reagan's radio address for 1983 to the nation. His Christmas Eve radio address, uh, which is videotaped and is available uh, courtesy of the Reagan Library on YouTube. You better believe he's sweatered up. And uh, he's telling America what they want to hear. He's telling Americans that they are who they want Hmm. to be. What about Americans? The Americans don't really have a lot of airtime under the Reagan administration, unfortunately. But uh, it's a can-do nation under the old Gipper. And uh, this is what folks nationwide would have heard if they turned their radio dials on just 24 hours before the subject of this week's deep dive, the St. Paul AWA show on Christmas night. My fellow Americans, like so many of your homes, the White House is brimming with greens, colorful decorations, and a tree trimmed and ready for Christmas Day. And when Nancy and I look out from our upstairs windows, we can see the national Christmas oh, trees you can hear the phoniness, can't majestic you? beauty. Yep. Its lights fill the air with a spirit of love, hope, and joy from the heart of America. That's right. I shared that spirit recently when a young girl named Amy Benham helped me light our national tree. Oh, this is for Amy Ganya. had said Sorry. that the tree that lights yeah. up our country must be seen all the way to heaven. And she said that her wish was to help me turn on its lights. Wow. Well, Amy's wish came yeah. true, but the greatest gift was mine. Because I saw her eyes light up with hope and joy just is as it, brightly is it as wrong the lights that on a I just have tree. like and I'm sure they were both perverted thoughts of all the way to heaven. Yes. What Reagan made did the with angels this sing. Little girl. Yes. Yes. Christmas is. is a time yeah. for children and rightly so. We celebrate the birthday of the Prince of Peace who came as a babe in a manger. Yeah. Some celebrate that's Christmas wh- as the birthday of a great That's why it was Buck Zuhoff's favorite holiday. <laughs> but to other millions of us, Jesus is much more. He is divine, yeah. living assurance divine. that God so loved the world, he gave us his only begotten son so that by believing in him and learning to love each other, we could one day be together in paradise. It's been said that all the kings who ever reigned and all the parliaments that ever sat... Have not done as much to advance the cause of peace on earth and goodwill to men as the man from Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I thought he was going to say himself. Christmas is also Almost. a time to remember the treasures of our own history. Mm-hmm. We remember one Christmas in particular, 1776, our first oh year as a nation. How does he remember that? The Revolutionary War had been going old. badly, but George Washington's faith, courage, and leadership would turn the tide of history our way. He took a knee in the snow, right, on Ronald? Christmas night. <laughs> He led a band of ragged soldiers across the Delaware River through driving snow to a victory that yeah. saved the cause of independence. When does he kneel? When does he kneel? He yeah. said that their route of march was stained by bloody footprints, but their spirit never faltered, you know, and for, their will for an could actor, not be crushed. That he's reading from a script. The image of George Washington kneeling in prayer there in the snow is. is one of the most famous in American history. He personified a people who knew it was not enough to depend on their own courage and goodness. They must also seek help. From God, their Father, and Preserver. Guard? Who's guard? In a few hours, families and friends across America will join together in caroling parties and Christmas Eve services. Love it. Together, sweater, we'll renew that spirit of faith, <laughs> peace, and giving, which yes. has always marked the character of our people. In our moments of quiet reflection, I know we will remember our fellow citizens who may be lonely and in need tonight. Mm-hmm. Is the Christmas spirit still alive, some ask? Well, you bet it is. Being Americans, we open our hearts to neighbors less fortunate. We try to protect them from hunger and cold, and we reach out in so many ways, from toys for tots drives across the country to goodwill by the Salvation Army to American Red Cross efforts which provide food, shelter, and Christmas cheer Uh from Atlanta to Seattle. Churches are so generous it's impossible to keep track. One example, Reverend Bill Sengel's Presbyterian Meeting House in nearby Alexandria, Virginia, 
is simultaneously sponsoring Hot Meals on Wheels programs, making and delivering hundreds of sandwiches and box loads of clothes, while visiting local hospitals and sending postcards to shut-ins and religious dissidents abroad. Let us remember the families who maintain a watch for their missing in action. You know, I never could hear that. Yes, Midwest let us remember all before. those who were persecuted oh, yeah, yeah. inside the Soviet bloc, huh. not because they commit a crime, Soviet but bloc. because they From love Illinois, God in right? their hearts and want the freedom yep. to celebrate Hanukkah or worship the Christ child. Mm. And because faith for us is not an empty word, we invoke the power of prayer to spread the spirit of peace. We ask protection for our soldiers who are guarding peace tonight from frigid outposts in Alaska and the Korean demilitarized zone to the shores of Lebanon. One Lebanese mother told us that her little girl had only attended school two of the last eight years. Hmm. Now, she said, because of our presence there, her daughter can live a normal life. Oh, they gave gifts. That's With nice. patience and firmness, we can help bring peace to that strife-torn region and make our own lives more secure. The Christmas spirit of peace, hope, and love is a spirit Americans carry with them all year round everywhere we go. As long as we do, we need never be afraid because trusting in God is the one sure answer to all the problems we face. Till next week, thanks for listening. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Vern. Vern Gagne, ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting from his parlor from before, to the talent in the locker room. In front, of his, uh, in front of his fucking fireplace. Roaring Absolutely. fire. So... Do you feel 1983 yet, boss? Oh, yeah. Do you feel 1983 been, uh, now? Two? Been two and a half at this point. Amazing. I would have been uh, four months old. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, my earliest memories of Reagan in terms of like being was told who the president was. <laughs> no, it was not this speech, no. <laughs> Definitely not this speech. But uh, yeah, my earliest memories of that's the president, are Reagan in this grainy mm. image. I do remember um, that. I remember. I remember that being like... The longest, mm-hmm. it, it was the, even even more so than the last four years, that felt like the longest presidency ever. Because, I mean, so much happens when you're young and that age. I just remember the, the Reagan, the Ra- like when Bush became president after Reagan, it was like, I didn't know what to do with myself because I'd literally only known Ronald Reagan as big a Big change, big yeah. change, big shift. So, yeah. um... I don't know. I'm thinking if we're going to if we're going to take it back to 1983 yes. AWA, if we're going to put ourselves back into that chronology, I might have to pull Larry Nelson's book off the oh, shelf. Oh, I think that is a must. Now, I want to apologize to devotees of the life and death of the AWA if there's any repetition here, because some of these passages that I'm about to convey here in our Christmas episode do ring a bell. But I don't sure. think I've read the whole kitten caboodle. And this is pretty much Larry, who started with the AWA in 1983, telling the story of how he got involved with the promotion and just addressing all of the key things we're also going to address about comings and goings of talent, the degree to which the you know the roster was changing and I the business was drugs. changing. Oh, well, oh, that's what you want? Okay. Well, let me read you the first fucking... Give me the Christmas gift I need. Sentence of this chapter. And I hope you can indulge me. It's it's not a short one, but I think by the time we're done with this, we will have a full grounding in what the AWA was at this point in time, okay? Good. Mm-hmm. One fine day in 1983, 
I woke up, probably with a hangover. Yes. Yes. I found myself part of the morning team on Minneapolis-St. Paul's WWTCAM. This is one of the first rock and roll oldie stations in the country, and would have been a ratings hit on an FM station, but AM's share of the radio audience experienced a rapid downturn in the 70s, and by the early 80s had declined from 75 to 30 percent. Listeners under 35 were almost non-existent. AM, we were. With a weak signal, little advertising revenue, and a small budget, my morning partner Don Thompson and I had few resources to compete with quality morning teams in this competitive top 20 market. To keep my job, it was necessary to bring in some ratings and advertising revenue. I had to come up with one hell of an idea, and I did. Wrestling always helps when you're in this position, doesn't yes. it, boss? Yes. When you need to make a miracle happen from a exposure standpoint, a rating standpoint, and you allow yourself to acknowledge that there are actually wrestling fans out there, and sometimes they may be when worth like, catering okay, to. Oh, I don't want to admit this, but yes, there yep. are people who enjoy this fucking bullshit. Yeah, it's called, uh, I think it's called Turner Entertainment in 1995. <laughs> One night, while ruining over my poor radio ratings performance in the latest Twin Cities Ar- Arbitrons and drinking a liter of bad scotch. Yes, yes, that's what you fucking did. Professional wrestling occurred to me. I watched, my friends watched, people at work watched that's nearly That's usually everyone. when you think of it, too, when you've had that much liquor. <laughs> Nearly everyone watched professional wrestling, or so it seemed. I had been invited to homes where people threw Sunday morning champagne brunch parties to watch professional wrestling on Channel 9. The wheels in my booze-soaked head what began turning. Suppose, I wondered to myself, I could arrange to have a wrestler on my show once, maybe twice a week for an hour. I could do an interview and take phone calls from listeners. I gulped the scotch and began to flesh the idea out. It would be an interview, I decided, like any other sports interview, a serious approach. No ridicule or is-it-fake questions. Play a few oldies every ten minutes or so to minimize the loss of the music audience. I gulped more scotch and fleshed out the details of my plan. The calls would be screened. True believers, fans on the air with their wrestling heroes, would equal unique live entertainment, ratings, and big advertising dollars. Damn it, I could save my gig. Mm. I drank more scotch. Hell, I could save the whole damn radio station. Many great ideas hatched during inebriation, became embarrassingly folly when reviewed following the horror of my hangovers. Yes. Not this time, though. The next morning, I again pondered the plan of putting professional wrestling on my radio show. This time, while gulping coffee, I saw no obstacle other than my program director, Roger Bull, his real name, I swear it, was a very good young PD, rather. Uh, Not a PhD, hardly. (laughs) But not a wrestling fan. Sensing resistance, I decided to circumvent him and instead took my inspiration to his boss, operations manager manager Dick Driscoll. He loved it, and after listening to his lengthy and funny impression of a wrestler, I sent out to find the American Wrestling Mm -hmm. Association, AWA. Yes. Professional wrestling has endured many peaks and valleys nationwide since the turn of the century, but it had been wildly popular in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul, for 30 years. (laughs) I shit you not. 30 years. (laughs) That... That coincides with a particular run, does it not, boss? Well, I've been, you know, in the business 30 years. Gosh. You know, know, gosh, you know, I've been a long time, you know, veteran of the business, you know, uh, you know, born and bred Minnesotan. You know, I I live and breathe Minnesota and I bleed Minnesota. Clearly. And, uh, you know, I'm glad for any opportunity that I can have. To, uh, to bring the public's attention to one of the greatest uh, professional sports in the, uh, in the history of this great nation. 
The Sunday morning television show topped the ratings for local programming in each rerun. The following Saturday did very well. The audience showed a liberal, open-minded attitude appealing to young, old, rich, and poor. All races, colors, and creeds were represented in the audience. If only I could get a small percentage of these people to tune into my morning show, I would own Morning Drive. The television station which broadcast these wrestling programs resembled my struggling AM in many ways. Channel 9 was a small local station with no network affiliation. Though the wrestling programs must have made money, they made no effort to expand it beyond weekly weekend broadcasts. It puzzled me why no other local media covered professional wrestling. It only received attention as the butt of jokes or an occasional mention when a wrestler appeared at a fundraiser. That was it. Uh, We just disproved that by reading from the Star Tribune, but that's okay. (laughs) No one has tried to exploit the enthusiasm and commercial potential of this huge, diverse audience. The AWA was based in Minneapolis, so a look at the local phone book should have yielded a number. It didn't. I knew the promoter was Wally Carabua, but he wasn't listed either. Determined, I went back to Dick Driscoll and endured more of his nutty wrestling bits before he called Channel 9. It turned out that the AWA was owned by the Minnesota Boxing and Wrestling Club. Under that name, I found a phone number to call. After explaining my position and desires to a receptionist, I was connected to Ken Resnick. Resnick worked as a sports anchor at a TV station in Rochester, Minnesota, where he was hired as the public relations director for the AWA. When their announcer at the time, Gene Oakland, left for the New York-based World Wrestling Federation, oh. Resnick got fitted for a tuxedo and took Oakland's place before the camera. Mean Gene was a tough act to follow. This longtime TV man had a deep, authoritative voice that could deliver rapid fire with sincerity and the enthusiasm of a carnival barker. In short, he made the wrestlers look larger than life. Okerlund, who was balding, middle-aged, and looked like the stereotypical uncle, was outraged at the villains and charmed by the heroes, just like the viewers. Smartly, he never took sides. This Mm. man could sell wrestling tickets, and that was the name of the game. Ken Resnick, his replacement, was an unlikely choice. His voice was only decent at best, and he lacked on-air charisma. That's right. (laughs) Get it in, Larry. And didn't didn't Resnick quit in the midst of a show? (laughs) Yes, he did. Plus, he was an imposing weightlifter who was as big as some of the wrestlers. Young and pleasant, he reminded Resnick you of was? a... Yeah. Resnick does not look like a weightlifter. He looks like a scrawny little bitch. Well, they put him in those broad-shouldered blazers. Young and pleasant, he reminded you of a kid brother. His animation was awkward, and his delivery seemed stoic and practiced. Resnick was a nice type of guy you would buy a used car from, but not a wrestling ticket. Yet, despite these faults, he was the point man. Ken and I discussed my idea over the phone. Though wary, he listened to my proposal... Wrestling people are always alert to setups for ridicule. That's a t-shirt. And he had good reason to harbor reservations about what I might do with my interviewees. No interviewers had ever wanted to feature wrestling as a serious sport before. I worked hard to convince him. Reluctantly, he agreed to try it. He explained the busy schedule wrestlers maintained, then picked Wednesdays to do the show because it was interview day when they were sure to be in town. I had no idea what interview day was, but quickly agreed anyway. 9 to 10 a.m. was chosen because Don Thompson, my morning partner, left the show at 9, and the last hour could be left wide open for the wrestlers. I'm not going to be a part of this bullshit. Yeah. Larry. I got something else to do, Larry. Larry, I got anything else in the world to do. All right, pal? I'm going to fucking do, you know what? I'm going to sit around and just drink myself to sleep, because that's better than doing this shit. You would know something about that, Larry? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You fucking go out there and you and you 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 drink yourself silly every goddamn night, you know. God damn it, Larry, this is bullshit. Bringing these carny folk on the goddamn legitimate radio, <laughs> what a piece of shit. My plans were going to materialize. Fame, fortune, and glory would all be mine. And better yet, I Drugs. was going to meet some professional wrestlers. Things were looking up for Uncle Larry Nelson of WWTCAM. 
I've always been a professional wrestling fan. From early childhood through high school, I've watched it on TV, attended the matches in my hometown of Richmond, Indiana, and defended it as authentic to detractors. This worried my mother, who wanted to believe her only child was sane. When the first... When the first appointed Wednesday arrived, I was thrilled and nervous waiting to meet Ken Resnick and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Ken picked Heenan because I had said I would challenge him to a match. It was, of course, a joke. Well, Heenan didn't look at it that way. He was a manager, which essentially means he was a bad guy. Heroes don't have managers. Those are exclusive to villains. These bad guys talk big, interfere in various dastardly fashions, yet run like yellow rats if cornered. Once in a great while... They are forced into the ring to pay for their crimes at the hands and feet of a hero they have cheated or harmed. Bobby the Brain Heenan could make fans furious outside the ring and put on one hell of a show when forced to take a beating in it. He was obnoxious and sure. sneered a lot. When dressed in gaudy clothes and with bleached blonde hair, he captured the essence of seedy. He had no manners and shared no humane thoughts. Though Heenan was small for a wrestler, he was powerfully built. I had no serious intentions of wrestling this man, but that's not what Ken had told him. At 8.40 a.m., Ken Resnick and Bobby Heenan arrived at the station. I shook hands with Ken, who smiled and was friendly. Heenan did not offer his hand, and seemed surly. This confused me. The microphone wasn't even on, and the brain already seemed to be in character. We went on the air at 9 a.m. as planned, and I introduced Ken, who in turn introduced Bobby. Then, live before a radio audience, Ken smiled and asked, Do you want to challenge him now? Oh, my God. I chuckled. Heenan glared at me and spat out, You better understand that I'm proud of my sport and expect people to respect it. Then it dawned on me. He thought I was going to make light of wrestling in general, and him in particular. It occurred to me he might kick my ass right there, live on the air. Oh, I groaned to myself, this would be a terrible play price to pay for radio ratings. After a horror-filled pause, I asked a sincere professional question about his upcoming match. Then another, he answered and kept glaring at me. When we went to a commercial break, I spoke to save myself. How can, I mean, that's impressive if Bobby Heenan is the one who's scaring you. Oh, yeah, well, he's, he knows. He's got to protect the business. Well, Even I'm guys who play cowards on in, in the arena know how to turn it on if they need to look menacing, I guess. That's crazy. It is, yeah. Well, he was a worker to start, you know. I mean, he was always kind of a chicken shit heel getting bounced around, but yeah. you know, he was a wrestler. He wasn't yeah. just some, like, guy that was window dressing. He says, uh, when we went to a commercial break, I spoke to save myself. You realize I only used the me-against-you match thing to promote this interview. Just business, a way to draw listeners. Heenan's reply was something in the order of his being a professional and demanding respect. When the commercial break was over, I asked more questions, and he fielded some calls from listeners. As the hour passed, we began to work together. He understood what I wanted to do, and I realized he could work with me. At the end of the hour, he was ranting when I gave him the cut sign and started to wrap up the show. Bobby the Brain Heenan was having a ball, and yes, he wasn't he was. about to be turned off. This isn't over till I'm through, he shouted, then added, Don't you dare cut me off. Don't touch that mic switch, he screamed, playing the showbiz man he was, all the while signaling for me to do just that. Cut it, cut it. That's it, awesome. It was great. I cut him off, a dramatic way to wrap the show, and hit a turntable button to play a golden oldie. With the song playing, I stood up to say goodbye to Ken and Bobby. This time, he, the surly brain offered his hand. Things had gone very well. I'm a very good interviewer, and I'd conducted this one as if it had been a World Series pitcher or a Super Bowl quarterback. He hadn't expected that, and I think he respected me a little, however grudgingly. I know I respected him. Heenan was good not only on TV, but as I discovered, radio too. Then I turned to a smirking Ken Resnick, whom I wanted to strangle. Instead, I smiled. As I became friends with Ken, I came to know his boyish jock sense of humor. He had set me up, but it was all in the spirit of fun. We shook hands, and I felt a rapport. So who's in next week, I asked, hopefully. I'll let you know, he answered. Maybe Nick Bockwinkle. Oh, boy. 
Nick Bockwinkel was the most successful bad guy in AWA history, was the heavyweight champion of the world. He was a second-generation wrestler. Uh, these people seem to be more serious about their professions than those without legacy. His father, Warren, had been a successful West Coast grappler. Nick traded the world championship back and forth with Vern Gagne through the 1970s and was Greg Gagne's main adversary in the 80s. Always in great physical condition and of strong morals, he was one of the very few who avoided vices. Some wrestlers had only business on their minds when they hit the road. Nick Bockwinkle was one of them. So was, you guys were never friends then, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we quickly realized we had nothing in common and, uh, and uh, shot each other in the face. Um, so he talks about Nick Bockwinkle. He goes through his history. Um, he talks about Ken Resnick calling to confirm Nick Bockwinkle as the next interview guest. And, uh, and then, uh, I was delighted to have the world champ on my show. The following Wednesday, Nick came to the studio alone. He shook my hand, but wore a stern look. You know what we do? I asked. Yes, he replied. And I hear you're something of a smart ass. <laughs> Heenan says he's awesome. And then you know, Heenan like shakes his hand and then goes and tells Bockwinkle yeah, immediately. Right. This guy's that a guy's bitch. A... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, my glee at having such an important wrestling figure on the show turned to concern. Oh, no, not again, I worried, after a few brief thoughts of how to dispose of Ken Resnick's you body you when I was done with him. need to know this is exactly what you're in for every fucking time. What would that be? Well, put it to words, boss. You're what are in, you in you for? You have to start, just like, you know what? Just like Jake said every time. Yeah. you got to start from scratch every wow. fucking time. These guys wow. are not going to let you up. Wow. You are in trouble. You are in danger. Absolutely. Mr. Nelson. I showed Bachwinkle to the studio. He had an upcoming title defense against Martell. Um, I was full of questions for the champ. Was this a home court advantage? Could Martell's youth overcome his experience? Did he have a specific plan? Would he try to set Martell up for the figure four? After questions such as these, we opened the phones to callers. Unlike most of his contemporaries, Nick Bachwinkle is a very articulate man. Etc. The hour went quickly, and afterwards we talked off mic for a while. When we left, when he left, rather, we were downright friendly. This was the beginning of a good relationship. Mm. When Rick Martell came on my show the week following, a big surprise awaited listeners. Archville and Adnan KC barged into the studio and threatened both of us. Wow. Martell undoubtedly knew he was coming. I did not. <laughs> Fucking Nelson. Some weeks later, Adnan came on by himself. Greg Gagne answered my accusation of insanity for agreeing to wrestle the gigantic and savage King Kong Brody. Baron von Raschke offered to demonstrate his feared claw hook on me. I declined. Stan Lane was on. Ken Resnick. I gained their oh, respect. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. So management started to field more and more calls about this, asking who was coming on and when. So it's starting to work. Right. And I had to plan. That's the idea. When it comes to wrestling, it's all about work. The power of radio hit me like a ton of bricks after Ken Resnick had handed me a list of the two main events on the next card. Talk about these to your audience, he said. Tickets were selling before we announced anything about last month's show on TV, so the sales had to have come from you and your show, he continued. You're the only place this was announced in advance. Wow. Those words were barely out of his mouth when a troubled look came over his face. We're selling tickets, I boisterously said, all on our own. This was not something AWA owner Vern Gagne would have wanted him to tell me. Gagne and his cronies wanted it to appear the AWA was helping me. Vern, if he'd known about Resnick's slip, would have feared the station might try to charge the AWA for the airtime. Charge. That is not one of Vern Gagne's favorite words in the not dictionary. Not at all. Nope. 
that thought had never entered my mind. I was happy with the attention my show was getting and the resulting sponsorship sales. Vern must have thought otherwise and instructed Ken to keep a closed mouth about the positive impact our broadcast had on his business. The real sign of influence on AWA's improved bottom line, though, came when Vern's competition, WWF, called. Yes. Dick Driscoll woke me up one morning and announced he had received a call from Gene Oakland. Me and Gene had heard of our wrestling show and wanted to be on it. In on it. Dick looked at me expectantly. I had no idea what to say. This was a wrestling show, he explained, not the AWA hour. But the AWA had made it possible to build this show. Then when things were up and running, the WWF wanted a piece of the action. These organizations, the AWA and the WWF, were at war. Not some small territorial so this dispute. this is after that, if Mean Gene's already with WWE, huh? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, and of course, Vince is using him as a Trojan horse to get on on anything that can sell tickets out there and, you know, use the fact that he's buying these homegrown assets, so to speak, to uh, point to his organization instead of the other one. But a fight to the finish. Can we get that... Larry Nelson under contract? Absolutely. I want Larry Nelson to be my radio host. The hell are we going to do with that guy? I don't know. Neither but... side show any... Give him booze. That's what we're going to do. Liquor uh, him up. Yep. Drug him up. And call it a goddamn day. That's what I want. And then me and I can hang out. Have Absolutely. sex with hoes. And other... <laughs> Exotic women. I think we'd we'd fit in well here uh, in the Connecticut uh, River Valley. River Valley. <laughs> Dick Driscoll's. Area. Dick Dick Driscoll's. I think he'd be better in Stamford than Greenwich. Let's leave him in the dirty streets of Stamford. I think he'd fit in weller. Pal. Pal. Dick Driscoll's knowledge of professional wrestling was slight at best. I gave him some background information on the rivalry that the two organizations had waged for years. When Gene Oakland left the AWA to join the WWF, it wasn't simply a matter of leaving one territory for another. This was part of the WWF's plan to ignore all territories and go worldwide, thereby shattering an understanding that had stood in the business for decades. He talks about Toots Mont and Strangler Lewis and blah, blah, blah. Vince McMahon Jr., one of the WWF, of the WWF, was responsible for upsetting this tradition. His dad, who ran New York City-based Northeast Territory, followed the blueprint and made millions. With the belief that the WWF had the best product in the country, Vince Jr. bought the Northeast Territory from his father and launched it nationally. This raised hell with the other territories, especially the AWA. To make his plan work, McMahon had, underscore, underlined, had to have Hulk Hogan. Yes. Then the biggest star in the business, who shot to fame in Rocky III and was the main moneymaker for the AWA at the time. With a huge sculptured body, allegedly built with steroids. I didn't steroids. agree to that. I didn't say that. Nope. So I'll put that out there. I don't believe that Hulk Hogan uh, was drawn a dime. I believe that the, mm -hmm. the draw was, was myself and not Nick Bockwinkle. Mm -hmm. so That's right. That's exactly right. Those are what the, uh, you know, the, uh, my, uh, my, my Vern metrics were saying. The AWA's biggest moneymakers were lost to the WWF um, by the time my wrestling feature aired in Minneapolis-St. Paul. The intensely clever McMahon had been running WWF matches locally. Some of his people had heard about my radio show and that it was popular enough to sell tickets for the AWA. Of course, the WWF people wanted equal time, so Dick Driscoll was contacted by the WWF. He, in turn, came to me with the news. My idea had become too successful, and this complicated everything. <laughs> 
Driscoll sifted through his impressive supply of brain cells and declared that we couldn't become a subsidiary of the AWA, which we had unintentionally done. The program expl- that's, that's what happens when you get close to the business, by the way, folks. That's exactly it. You, you get are, co-opted yeah. so quickly. Exactly. You know, that, that's why we're arm's length forever, for yeah. life. Yeah. We don't want to all of a sudden try to say something from the heart and then realize that, oh, we, we can't say we that. can't say that. Everyone has, is, is professional hurt feelings in this business. The program, he explained, had to be open to all viable wrestling organizations. We couldn't sell broadcast time to just one auto dealer. Similarly, we would need to have an open-door policy to all public service organizations and political parties. Making the wrestling show the exclusive domain of the AWA, what if he reasoned, I'm sure he reasoned this and not Vince on the phone, mm-hmm. uh, set an untenable precedent. True, they were first, and it could have happened without them. However, they weren't paying sponsors of the show, and we could not afford to become their lackeys. All that Dick said to me made sense, but I didn't like it. Who would tell Ken Resnick? When I told Resnick, he freaked. I explained the points Driscoll made to reach the decision. Ken had none of it. The AWA had built the show, he reasoned, and now the WWTC management was about to turn it over to its mortal enemy. This was treason, he added. Treason? Treason. And Vern Gagne would certainly react by pulling all AWA personnel off the show. Yes. My worst fears were being realized. I'd warned Dick Driscoll that adding the WWF most likely meant losing the AWA. I blamed station management for everything. I struck a helpless pose and tone and told Ken this was not what I wanted either, but there was nothing I could do. The tyrannical Dick Driscoll had made up his mind, I explained, and the WWF was about to become part of the show. Gene Oakland was the first WWF representative to appear on the show. I perceived him to be its Twin Cities liaison as well as lead announcer. I had heard he was a pompous ass. <laughs> of course, my, informer, my informants all worked for the rival AWA. Still, I approached him with a semi-open mind. I knew his Mean Gene moniker had come from Hulk Hogan. I also knew he and Hogan were friends. He maintained a purely professional relationship with other wrestlers. That made sense. Hogan was wrestling's biggest name, and latching onto him was the best job security Gene could hope for. Hogan found his friendship with Oakland actually equally rewarding. No one could help him maintain his status as the top draw better than the man who interviewed him. I never thought about that, boss. What if Vince hired Gene because Hogan wanted him there because he held the stick for him as he became a moneymaker? I mean, that makes sense. I always thought of it as Vince trying to pull to hurt AWA, but Hogan's the kind of guy that wants to bring a whole crew with him, you know? He wants, like, all the advantages he can get. Right. Whatever's going to make it kind of easier for him to do his job. Right. Whatever replicates what's worked before, you know, Yeah. Uh, be it past opponents, past fat guys he worked MSG with in 1984 and WCW in 1995, or perhaps in 1983, bringing Gene Oakland over with him. That makes total so, sense to me. Yeah. yeah interesting thought. And it's a, a timely thought considering the event we're talking about. Talks about how personable Gene was and uh, how um, he assumed his TV character on the air with ease and... Um, of course, the first caller demanded is wrestling fake, and he astonished me by more or less admitting it was. If you want to call a spade a spade, he responded coolly, professional wrestling is sports entertainment. Nothing more, nothing less. From there, it became the Gene Okerlund so Show. What does that mean? Exactly, Gene. You didn't right. say if it's fake or not. Absolutely. Um, he simply took off his headset, stood up, and said, Next week, I'll have one of the wrestlers call in from the road. You can put a call in the air. It wasn't a question. His tone implied that if I couldn't, he would call our engineers right then and get them on it. I assured him I could do this, then asked, which wrestler? Jesse Ventura, he replied, which shocked me again. 
Though money had been one of the primary reasons that Jesse the Body Ventura left the AWA for the WWF, there was a much more personal factor involved. Jesse and most of his fellow wrestlers had long resented the feudal lord approach the local territory owners had taken toward them. The owners used their wrestlers as a farmer would a plow horse. They were beasts of burden who... I love that. Beasts of burden. burden. There's a shirt. Write that shit down. Write that one fucking down. Beasts of burden. Bought, sold, and traded until they broke down and were discarded. Later, when I became more intimately involved in the AWA's affairs, I overheard Vern Gagne tell his immediate subordinates not to think of wrestlers as human beings. None of them, said Vern, were irreplaceable. If one did not adhere to blind obedience, another would. The wrestlers were, plain and simply, tools. If one broke, it was more practical to replace them than to do a repair job. Jesse Ventura believed that this was how the AWA had dealt with him. Ventura, born Jim Janos, grew up in the Twin Cities, etc., Vietnam, honorable discharge, came back to the Twin Cities to AWA, he was paired with Adrian Adonis, solo career, Hogan's adversary, um, size and strength, let's see, wasn't much of a wrestler, great on-camera interview. Um, he's a terrible may- wrestler. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's, he's as basic he's so as it gets. bad. This made him a lot of money, and they'd be even richer. For a time, everyone was happy. Then, as with all mortals, the body eventually broke down. When he was diagnosed with blood clots, medical attention was necessary, keeping him out of the ring. Jesse claimed they'd be ignored him during this time of need. There were, according to Ventura, no calls, visits, or financial support. When he was able again to perform, the ADBA put him back in the action. Jesse wasn't one to forget. When the WWF offered him a deal, he bolted and blasted the AWA, Vern Gagne in particular, and the media at every opportunity. He vowed to do everything in his power to bankrupt Gagne and his organization. This brings us to his appearance on my radio show. Yes. I had never conducted the weekly show entirely by telephone before, um, so the Collins had to be sacrificed. Ventura called five minutes before airtime, didn't know who I was, wasn't sure what part of the media he was calling. I don't even... Who the fuck am I calling right Absolutely. now? Absolutely. Who is this piece of shit? Larry who? Hello? What kind of piece of shit state are you calling me from? Are you in the Minnesota area? Is that why oh I'm calling God. this damn number? I'm going to tell you something right now. I am the best damn third-party wrestler that there ever was. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen right now is I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to treat you like shit, and you're going to take it. And you're going to like it, because you're a third-party human being. <laughs> and All it turns right, out do you understand that, Larry Nelson? I don't think I understand what you mean by a third-party human being, but I heard the words you said. you're less you said. than. You're less ah, than. I see. Do you understand that? Are you deaf? Are you stupid? Uh, Are you an asshole? Not... Yes. It'd be hard not to understand that, Jess. Well, damn right, because if you, if you didn't understand it, I'm going to send a bunch of tacos up your way, and I'm going to force them down your throat, and you're going to shit them out on the air. I don't like you. Clearly. So Jesse didn't really go in on Vern. He more praised Vince as the visionary, putting on the best wrestling in the world and all that, and dodged questions about Vince his Vince McMahon is the most visionary individual that I've ever had the pleasure of working for in the entertainment business. That's right. And I'm a man. Along with the interview show, I negotiated an agreement to do live radio broadcasts of AWA's monthly matches at the St. Paul Civic Center. Wow. Though wrestling had flopped on radio in the 40s, the whole business had become much more flamboyant since then. For people who couldn't attend matches, we were the source of learning the outcome of the threats and challenges. Flamboyant? (laughs) Not really. Maybe Jesse. About it. Uh, He he recalls how his broadcast table was at ringside. So wrestlers... uh, would throw each other through or over the ropes right at him. 
at 9 LKC. Heenan came to the table. You see that during this broadcast. They end up tussling near the table. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle lays down on the table at one point when he gets knocked out of the ring. That's all part of trying to get on, get into Larry Nelson's uh, Larry broadcast. Nelson, like, right. Careful. Coke. Right. Lines of Coke here, please. Dr. Schultz, uh, Dr. D, once poured a soft drink on his head on the air. You know how it goes. Yeah. All of this made for great entertainment. It reminds me of the one time I did an indie commentary at a high, in, in high school. Yeah. And uh, the guy, one of the the heels, like, made sure when he got eliminated from the Battle Royal to roll all the way over and kick our table as hard as he could so that the equipment fell on the floor. <laughs> he, like, purposely <laughs> lunged himself at us because that was just what you did when there was someone there trying to make a deal, trying of to, you know, shine a spotlight. You had to try to take it, especially if... Um, it was, you know, if, if it was something that you could perceive as a rib or an initiation or whatever. They didn't like that I was walking around backstage trying to figure out who's going to win so I could commentate appropriately. They didn't like that. Didn't like that at all. The WWF got what they wanted. And they should have scripted, kid. That's right. Exactly. Not much better than you, kid. <laughs> the WWF got what they wanted. The AWA had good reason to feel slighted in their anger over this invasion was rational. They were smart to resist the urge to pull their wrestlers from the show when the WWF was granted access. That would have been a stupid move. Why would the AWA give the competition exclusive rights to a promotional tool they had built? Yep. Covering the mostly list, the monthly list of live matches known as cards was easy as the competing associations never want wrestled oh, on the same night. Oh, I yeah, see. no, he writes that in quotes like it's no, some kind of industry insider. No other insider. sport fucking did that. No. And no other sport like boxing, for example, uses the word cards. Uh, but the addition of the WWF to our broadcast became grueling for the radio station staff. Wrestling programming practically consumed what little money and manpower we had. Lord knows it wasn't long before I was doing more wrestling than radio. By this time, numerous personnel changes taking place with the AWA television production team. One day, Ken Resnick and I were casually conversing after a weekly interview show when he asked if I'd be interested in doing Chirons. I asked him what a Chiron was. He explained that they were the 30-second commercials announcing the wrestling lineups, dates, and locations of upcoming matches in the viewing area. My job, he explained, would be to voice over this information town by town on the screen. This was exciting. I was being offered employment by the AWA. By 1983, when I joined the wrestling fraternities, I drank most every night. Yes, and began did. to snort cocaine. Oh, However, yes. those vices had yet to seriously interfere with my professional life. I attacked my new job with vigor. I was always on time and willing to do the tracks repeatedly until everyone in the studio was satisfied. This work brought me into close contact with everyone in the AWA. They apparently were comfortable with me and liked my work. Vern and Greg had appeared on my radio show and were impressed with the way that I conducted <laughs> interviews. After a Chiron session, when Greg approached me with an offer to do play-by-play -play on their Canadian television show, wow. I nearly fainted. The show aired in all the provinces on the sports network, TSN, Canada's version of ESPN. It was taped once a month. I would receive $300 per taping, plus meals, a hotel room, and a plane ticket. Meals, hotel, and a plane ticket? They aren't taped here, I inquired. No, Greg responded. Then where, I asked, trying not to appear too anxious. He looked at me, smiled, and said, Winnipeg. Winnipeg, Winnipeg. Where have I seen AWA footage out of Winnipeg lately? Boss, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, the, the, the good dude, Chroma Slam, sent along this link. Oh, my God. He yes, dug he this did. up from the CBC, this the Canadian Broadcast Corporation. Tremendous stuff. So the CBC has a lot of their archives online. And what he found was a piece they did. On AWA guys coming through Winnipeg in 1980. It's all here. Uh, if if we need to acquaint ourselves with the sights, the sounds, the textures of 
what it was like to be in an AWA arena. I mean, it might not be granted uh, Minneapolis. It might not be the heart of things. And Look at uh, that fucking mug. Pardon the sound here. It's going to be a quick, uh, a quick bit of uh, noise and some advertising to deal mm-hmm. with. Uh, right. So we'll we'll talk until you feel, boss, on your side, that uh, it's ready to go. There it is. Cool. <laughs> and then you're gonna get some ad. No, you're gonna get some advertisements here. In a nope. Put it right in. Look at that. You're seeing outside the arena, right? I'm in. Climb the steps. Turn, turn yours down a little bit. Pause it for a second. Sure. Bring it down a little bit. I, I can't. Oh, if you can't, that's fine. Um, only letting it be. Only muted, huh? Muted or unmuted. That's well, fucking weird. It's a pretty terrific video, but what we'll do is um, we'll go past the, you know, the stuff about just the crowd shots and everything. And uh, I'll, right. I'll tell you what to hit in New terms of sound. Too. Yeah. Um, why don't you jump to uh, 104 for us, as we're going to hear from the mind himself, Jesse Ventura, holding court backstage. This is probably... A... Are you playing it too? No. No? No. Okay. I just want to listen in on your side. This is okay. uh, probably indicative of the kind of Jesse that was interviewed by the Star Tribune, as we right. read from, and also went on Ken Resnick's show. All right, here we go. Do the fans get to you, Jesse? Never. Never get to you? Never get to me. Never make you angry? No. How come they don't like you? They like the other guys better. Because they're all jealous. (laughs) It's that simple. I mean, if they rubbed elbows with people in Hollywood, California, they're always jealous. Hear that California accent, boss? When you cause the breakup of Cheryl Ladd, what can I say? They're jealous. We are the number one tag team of the world. We want the belts. You want to keep playing it? No, that's okay for now. They interview a bunch of fans. It's hilarious. They say it's real and or that this isn't. (laughs) Of course it's real. You know, I've been coming here for years and uh, and, uh, I can tell you right now for a fact. Oh, we're, we're in Canada, though, but whatever. Right. I can tell you for sure that uh, that all of it's real. Go to 640 for me. We're about to hear from the the patriarch himself, the Don of the AWA, because it's 1980, so one yes. Vern Gagne has yet to retire. So he's yes. just very much in the sauce. Do the fans like you? <laughs> Go out there and ask them. <laughs> I'm asking you, do they like you? Well, I hope so. I think uh, over the years, I guess the, I would say that more like me than dislike me, yeah. Why would that be? Because I'm a good guy. One of the last of the good guys. Do they like you or not? Sure they like me. They yeah, like dog with Sean. Go ahead. To kill me sometimes. Would they say you're a good guy or a bad guy, Matt Dog? Well, you know what I say to that when they ask me that? I say, I'm a winner. So you think your choice, whether you have good or bad, has nothing to do with the wrestling. As long as I win, that's what's important to me, the Mad Dog. That's right, As long as I win, that's what's important to the Mad Dog. Your headliner for the show we're going to dive against Nick. The headliner. Oh, I'll say. Why don't you take me to 822, please? <coughs> 822. Yeah, DJ, spin that track. 
And let's hear from a young man in attendance on the state of things. Oh, my goodness. The absolute gla- state. I had, those, I had those glasses back in 1989. Yes, you did. Jesus. Things like that. I'm like, what else? There's good wrestlers. There's a lot of my favorite ones, like King Kong Mosca, Ray Ganya. I hate Jesse the Body Venture. Yuck. Why do you hate him? I said, come on, can I have your autograph? And he said, beat it, kid. <laughs> Isn't that great? Just let, let it keep going. Hear from another right. fan who breaks it all down. Hi, you get those guys, the good guys and the bad guys, and it's also a lot of humor because you get a little bit of fakeness in it, so it's <laughs> a lot of humor too. What's fake? Tell me. Pretend to hurt each other. They're not really hurting each other. Yes. So it's a little bit fake, but it's a lot of action. It's a good way to relieve tension. Oh. Relieve tension. You yeah. think that? Yeah. For anybody who's got an office job, I suggest that they, you know, come to a wrestling match. And really, it's really great. Okay. Wow. Got any tension? It's really great. Got any? If you've got an office job that numbs your brain and your soul, you should go to wrestling, yeah. even though it's fake. If you're tired, I can tell that they're not hurting each other. I've seen them not hit. That's right. And my 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 mother-in-law used to know a guy who used to wrestle in the carnivals. Yeah, and he told me that it was fake. So, do you have any tension you need to release, boss, by going to watch guys pretend to fight? <laughs> Always. No greater catharsis actually, than that. Actually, these days the. Uh, the fake fighting actually builds tension in me. <laughs> I know. That's the source of my stress. I need yeah. to stop watching wrestling to relieve tension. <laughs> That's so true. Good point. That, 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 that monthly dive into the current product. Yeah. Available right Jesus. now for your Patreon dollar every month. That's true. We, we suffer so you don't have oh to. Oh, God. Um, so that's a little flavor of what it would be like to be in the arena, literally, for the AWA yeah. around this point in time. I mean, the crowd is nuts. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, as much fun as we make of it, Look at the crowd. It's so diverse in terms of age, not just race. It's it's yep. age. There are old ladies there. There are young kids. It's a cross-section of the community there. Everyone can find something in wrestling that gets them animated, whether it's kids just having – or teenagers. There's, like, some teenagers there who are kind of, like, you know, yep. ironic about it almost and kind of, like, chuckling at it but still loving it because they can act like fools at a wrestling show. I mean, you couldn't see a grandmother or a grandfather oh at a fucking wrestling show nope. today. The only ones you'd all. see would have, like, $600 worth of merchandise that they're holding for their eight-year-old grandson right. while they fall my asleep. Dad. My dad, when <laughs> I dragged him to come with me and my kid, Madison Square Garden. Can you imagine being able to reliably go to a monthly arena to see wrestling and see all the old familiar faces, see a cross-section of the community, see all ages? It's just half the fun is hearing all the shit people scream at the bad guys, trying to kill people, caring, giving yep. a shit who wins and loses, not watching wrestling to you know, inform your Twitter timeline, but to actually watch right. wrestling to. To, to, to enjoy it, to, to participate in it, to allow you escape and get a mo and get like this moment of yes of of relief, like the woman said, like it's so true, like you know we 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 in a weird way, oh here we go, in a weird way, not in a weird way, but in uh, you know it's become our phones are this Absolutely. like we have this immediate release and in in a weird way it doesn't actually relieve us. No, 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 it just strings us along. You know, Right. 
it, it dangles in we're front of us. We're still tense. We're still we still hold all that tension mm-hmm. inside. We don't let it go. Right. You know, like th- these 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 moments were like, oh yes, like you look forward to this, and it was this moment of just absolute glee, and then you could build it up again over a month. Yes. Perfectly now we good. get satisfaction anytime we want it, and it just doesn't satisfy. No, no, because it can't, it can't satisfy you, because then you won't keep coming back. I mean, that's not right. the point. Satisfaction is not the point, because you need to be engaged, you know, six hours of your day cumulatively. You can't just like get something out of your phone, out right. of social media, and then go back to your life. No, this is your life. You don't understand. Like, if it's not on here, it's not your life. And or at least it's not a part of your life that you choose to highlight or care about or think about or broadcast to the world. Yeah. And uh, it's, and further, I mean, think about how tired and satisfied those people must have felt when the final bell rang, you know, oh, and they're yeah. going home and they they hit the pillow and they're out cold because they actually gave it their all. Now, look, every show wasn't great. That's fine. But these people, you can sense yeah, but, it. You know, there was a time and I think this is like a good show didn't. It, a show didn't need to be good to be entertaining. That wasn't the value proposition. You didn't show up to see good. You didn't show up to see a good show. You showed up to see who was going to win and lose. And also, you know what? I, I don't know about you, but like, even shows that were bad, you know, I I I would always have expectations for things. But if a show was bad, I didn't hate it. No, because you could, I did not just like, like any it. sport that might have a boring game, you chalked it up to the dynamics of the guys who are fighting each other. Right. That's the kind of thing, that's the kind of liberties you can take when you actually structure your wrestling and your performers perform in a way where they allow you to believe in everything they do and everything they say. It doesn't mean you actually believe, but it means that you're allowed to get lost in it without constantly yep. these glitches in the matrix of your attempt to suspend disbelief. These constant mm-hmm. moments of total fucking phoniness where you realize it's all a competitive dance, you know, yep. and when these guys are out there and their lifeblood is making you believe and unless they can get you into that headspace, they have failed and they will not make money and they will not survive. Then you're not going to have this part of wrestling that's so magical where like to your point, right. you, you show up and, and you roll the dice and you see what happens. Now, once that third wall gets shattered once you start messing with the people and reminding them that the bookers are actually in charge and they may actually lie to you about who may be on the card tonight just to keep your Mm -hmm. money to get your money and then or they might bait and switch you on the finish one too many times to where instead of thinking about the participants of the match as agents of their own destiny you start Mm -hmm. thinking instead about the booker who's trying to string you along right and there are ways to string you along that wrestling fans will respect and that wrestling fans, as sellout after sellout at Madison Square Garden through the 70s and 80s proves, and particularly the 70s and 60s, they want to be strung along in certain ways. They want there to be four or five return matches uh, against yep. the opponent du jour for a Bruno or a superstar or a backland. Uh, they want that, but they want it in a way where in the evening it feels satisfying. What you yep. saw was satisfying in and of itself. And if the hook is set for next time, that's fine, so long as you didn't sacrifice uh, the money I spent tonight entirely on getting me to come next time. I had to have right. gotten something, and the fan, the wrestlers knew that. The wrestlers knew they had to deliver that, and they had the leeway, they had the control over what they did in the ring such that they could guarantee that that box got checked every night. That's what it was to go to wrestling when it was good, when it mattered. 
And now that it, now that these guys don't have that agency, even if they wanted to ensure you went home giving a shit, if they wanted to ensure you went home believing in what they did and said, mm-hmm. they can't do it anyway because that's no. that's not the structure of the presentation. That's not the way things are arranged. That's not the way things are planned, booked, etc. So yeah. You knew when it was Christmas in the territories, a rant like that was coming, right, boss? Oh, yeah, of course, absolutely. You knew it was coming. And that clip. If it wasn't, there'd be a problem. That clip brought it all the more home. But this is, in a lot of ways, about Hulk Hogan and the move he sure. made. He's not on the show, but he's uh, characterizing the show in many ways. Yep. Oh, yes. And uh, a quick sketch from his, his uh, work of fiction called Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Oh, yes. Um, <clears throat> And he's he's thinking back to uh, working the AWA at Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. He was in a six-man tag with Greg and Jim Brunzel, much like he was supposed to be on this night, uh, against Ken Patera, Blackwell, and Donald KC. And uh, Steve Taylor, according to his recollection, an old friend of his from when he was at the WWWF, working for Vince Sr. with Blassie as his manager as the Big Heel, yep. showed up, took his picture, but actually slipped him a business card that on the back said, Call Vince. And it was kind of like a kayfabe deal where he got to the building pretending he was going to take pictures hmm. of the matches and actually was trying to extend the uh, the invite for Hogan to call Vince. Fine. Uh, uh, let's see. He said, let me take a picture of you. Sure, I told him. No problem. There's the picture. I thought, boy, is this interesting. I was fired by Vince Sr. and told I never worked there again. According to Hogan, he, Vince Sr. told him, you cannot take the Rocky Three role or you're fired. And he right. Took, I guess things have changed. I wrestled that night, went home, talked with Linda. I showed her the card, and Steve Taylor had given me and said, I don't know if you understand what this means, but this is from Vince McMahon in New York. She said, okay, call him back. But it wasn't Vince Sr. who answered. It was Vince Jr. Ooh. He told me he was going to be taking over the world, the company from his father, and he wanted to make me the new champion of the World Wrestling Federation, the new name of the company, he says, even though, as we established last week, it was three years old at this point. Uh, he had heard, uh, Two weeks ago on the Patterson show, we established that. Yeah. He had heard about the whole Hulkamania thing that I had started in Minnesota, and he thought he could embellish it and make it even bigger. By the time he finished talking, Vince had decided to fly to Minnesota, but Minneapolis was a very small town where everybody knew everybody's business. I didn't want Vern Gagne to know I was talking to Vince yet, so I told Vince that Linda would pick him up at the airport. Linda had never mm. met Vince, but I told her to look for a guy with big shoulders and pads and his suits that made his shoulders look even bigger. Believe me, I said, it'll be hard to miss him. He'll look differently from, different from anybody else on the plane. During my first go... He'll be the only one wearing a yellow suit. Yeah, that, that, that's what you're Or a red look. suit or blue. Absolutely. You know, sky blue shirt, suit. That's, that's so true. Um, so he thinks back to seeing Vince at the TV tapings when he used to work there. He didn't get to know him very well, but heard he was a cool guy, that he was wild in his youth and would shave his head or steal his dad's car or peroxide his hair blonde, but we didn't talk much because we didn't have a whole heck of a lot in common. Sure enough, when Linda got to the airport, she recognized Vince right away, took him back to our house. He and I started talking about what he had in mind for me, and around 3 or 4 in the morning, we shook hands on a 10-year deal for me to come back to New York. I told Linda, we're going to have a ton of heat, but i got to tell Vern Gagne I'm leaving the Minnesota Territory. Mm-mm. On one hand, I was hiding, handing Vern a problem. I had already booked myself all over the AWA in a series of steel cage matches against Nick Bockwinkle with a world championship belt at stake. Vern had tried to talk me into taking the belt in one of those matches, but I hadn't agreed. We talked about that earlier, that Super Sunday. Available in the archives if you want all the details. I just told him I would think about it. On the other hand, Vern had had it coming to him. When I went to Japan the last time, Vern had made up some Hulk t-shirts because he saw how successful I had been selling shirts on my own. Those shirts were just like mine. They had my name, my likeness, and the sayings I had made famous on them. The only difference was that Vern was getting the money. 
I wonder what percentage <laughs> that would be, boss. Well, I, uh, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Terry, I, you know, I, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I created Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Hulk Hogan is really uh, Vern Gagne, uh, the invention there. And, uh, you know, other people, the reason people come to see the AWA is because of, because of Vern, Vern Gagne. So I believe that is, uh, you know, 90, 90% worth of whatever you're taking. Now, what's going to happen with the other 10%? Well, when it comes to the, these shirts that you're not actually selling yourself, I'm actually going to keep that as well. <laughs> so what so. you're saying is you get 90 plus 10. Yeah, I'm going to take 90% plus 10 on these shirt sales. And when what you come that, back from Japan. What would that be? What would that calculate out to? A little back of the napkin well, math. Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, listen, I'm not a math major. Right. All I can tell you is that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take 90 and then an additional 10. And uh, when you come back, uh, any T-shirt sales that you make of your own volition, will I will take 90% of that. That's right. Uh, as well as 90% of whatever you made in Japan. So I can keep 10%. You can keep 10% of what you sell and what you worked for. But I will take 90% plus an additional 10% of everything that I made and sold. I'm confused. Sounds like you get 100%. I'll tell you what, you'll get a, you'll get a check once a month. With what you're due. With what I feel that you're due. <laughs> yeah, you better qualify that. <laughs> Your luck getting wasn't taking careful notes. <laughs> when I came back from Japan, I found out about it and said, hey, brother, you sold all those shirts. Where's my percentage? Vern Gagne said, you don't get a percentage. <laughs> those are my shirts. You didn't, I, I made those shirts. You know, you're a likeness dude, brother. But I'm Hulk Hogan, dude. Yeah, I'm Vern Gagne. What do you want? I want, what, I want my cut of the money, dude. He just said I'm well, Vern Gagne to him. Like, what the fuck? Like, you don't think I know that? Like, what was that about? Did you just have a stroke? Like, why would you say that at this moment? I'm Vern Gagne. <laughs> He's talking to Hogan like they've known each other for 25 years, and he introduces himself three paragraphs into the speech. Tremendous shit. Minneapolis Boxing and Wrestling Club. The club. <laughs> you can find me in the club. Bottle full of bub. Mama got what you need if you if you end up doing drugs. I'm into having sex, sir, not into making love. So come give me a hug. You're into getting rough. In the club. Yes, I'm here with my my friend Dominic, my paisan, and we're having chickity ching. <laughs> yeah, Dominic Dinoki <laughs> for dinner. Dominic the donkey. <laughs> Dominic deduct wages. <laughs> With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Vern Gagne said you don't get a percentage. Those are my shirts. I've got a right to sell them. I- you know, your your character, you know, your wrestler working under under my yes. uh, 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 umbrella mm-hmm. in my, uh, you know, my roof. So I get the right to sell whatever I want to sell. I've had my lawyers look at it, Terry. Dude, brother, why, why are you? Listen, I'm going to tell you something, bro. I'm a little, yeah, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable right now. What, man. what are you snacking on, brother? Is that a, what are you... is that a fruit, is that a fruit roll up, dude? Dude, brother, what are you? <laughs> What's that in your mouth, dude? Excuse me? Dude, that's not a lamb chop. <laughs> First time I've ever seen you not eat lamb chop at your desk. I've never seen you not eat a lamb chop, dude. You're usually, you, you're always gnawing on a shank, brother. Well, uh, what I got here, uh, Terry, is uh, what I have here is a fruit roll-up, my friend. Brother. Are you fruit rolling me up from behind, brother? <laughs> brother, I know we're having trouble getting on the same page on this T-shirt you know, deal, but I, you don't I have to go s- but, making but threats listen, like that. Brother, you don't have to fucking put a gun to my head, dude. All right, listen. You know, I'm 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 here to talk turkey, brother. You know, I'm not here to to just get. You know, I, you're making me. Is where's Bachwinkle, brother? <laughs> he hasn't been here all day. What do you mean? Wait, I mean Bachwinkle's not here. You know, he's out. Uh, He's out uh, doing his thing, you know. He's on the road. Hogan hears a sneeze from coming from the closet. Is that Carbo, dude? Terry, I don't know what you're talking about. Who's here, brother? What do you mean? Terry, there's nobody here. I heard a sneeze, dude. Don't fuck with me, Vern. I'm fucking nervous right now, brother. Terry, there's no, uh, there's nobody here, pal. All right? I'm just, listen, I'm telling you the way that it is. All right? You're not here. I will sell stuff that is of your likeness, and I will take 100% of that. That is the way that we roll here. There is no Even one here. <laughs> there is no one here. But there's one, nobody here. I will sell stuff of your likeness, too, and I will keep it all three. There is no... Terry, you're, you're, you're paranoid. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> I heard that, dude. That was not... That was not nobody, brother. Listen, I'm telling you, Terry. I'm telling you right now. Get him! Get him, Bachwinkle! <laughs> Roll that fucker up! Here he comes with the flowing locks. Get that one. Dude, brother! <laughs> the fuck?
fuck away, brother! Fuck, dude! Fuck, Bach, brother! <laughs> Piece of shit! Fuck, Bach, brother. I got him! I got him! I'll get him in an arm bar! I got him! I got him! I got him, Nick! I got him! Brother! Fuck, dude! Get the fuck, brother! I'm out of here, brother! I'm going up to fucking New York, dude! My 90%. Fuck you. That's right. And as he closes here, so even though he had been copying my shirts and selling them, he wouldn't give me a penny. He just told me to screw off. That made my decision to go back east a little easier. I went up to Vernon and told him, I'm leaving, brother. I quit. I'm done. He said, you can't do this to me. But I could. And I did. Wow. Now, what did Gene Oakland tell him? <laughs> I like that. I'm not giving you any money. Well, fuck it, brother. I quit, dude. Well, you can't do that to me. Why don't you can't hurt me like that. Absolutely. It's not fair. Oh, my God. <sighs> so, Burn. When, when Gene Oakland takes the ring on Christmas night in 83 and tells the people in St. Paul that Hulk Hogan's still in Japan, how could that be if he got married in New York on December 18th, 1983, with the entire contingent of Japanese press that had just covered the tour he had wrestled on <laughs> coming oh, with him, with him, to the United States, because he was such a big star, Ichiban is Hogan-san, Hogan-san and Namaman, coming to, <laughs> as any, as any, uh, uh, you know. Well, I mean, do we have evidence of this? That we have evidence. Do we know that he got married? We have evidence of this. Would you like to click that link, please? I think I would. Oh, shit. All right, here we go. This is from... <laughs> look at him number look at number one. He's in a tux. There's Linda too, looking exactly. What a piece of shit. He's getting married and it's national news in the country of Japan. Wow. That big? Number one, dude, Ichiban. Hulk Hogan brother. Ichiban. I guess no one at AWA got an invite. They think he's still in Japan. What it <laughs> fucking graphics. I feel like I'm watching a Godzilla movie with these. Who's wearing the red? I don't know. Oh, look at it. Look at Anoki. Tony Anoki went after losing in the IWGP tournament to Hogan. Turn the volume up. Turn the music down on my headphones. I confess to huh? Almighty God there we go. And to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned through my own fault. Brother. <laughs> <laughs> Father, dude. Hoof. <laughs> Hoof. Do you take this woman? Hoof. Look no, at that Mr. fucking pinky Mr. ring. With the I know. Isn't that ridiculous? What a piece. That is bu- He's got these fucking the, the, the ruffles in his shirt. Do you see that on, in, in, his, in his cuffs? Yep. Look at Anoki, the chin. Chin that puts Jay Leto to shame. Oh, <laughs> What is that fuck? What is the top tier of that cake? What the fuck is that? Look at him. Hogan's wedding. On that fucking cast. God, Linda looks like Brooktini. Yep. Linda looks more like Brooktini than she normally does. Yep. Holy shit. Young Linda. Ichiban, she Ichiban. says. Ichiban, she looks at the camera and says it. Wow. So that's where he was on December the 18th. I don't. I guess no one at AWA got an invite because... Uh, as far as they know, he's still in Japan, or at least that's what they're going to tell the <laughs> buying public on Christmas fucking night. Well, brother, dude, what are we going to tell, you know, I'm supposed to appear at AWA, brother. I mean, they, they say I'm, they're marketing me. What are we going to tell them, dude? Mm. 
Well, Terry, just tell me you're still in Japan. Mm-hmm. I'm not in Japan, brother. They don't know that. I don't know that. You're getting married, pal. You're in Japan. Uh, okay, dude. Okay, fade yeah. that shit. Like you meet my friend. Yeah. My friend K. K. Fabe. Oh my God. But they want the Hulk. They want the Hulk out in uh, in San Saint Paul, and they're not going to get him. God. But uh, they they don't stop wanting him to show up throughout the course of the evening. Uh, boss, if you can hit the "We Want the Hulk" sound uh, there, yeah. give the people a flavor of what I'm talking about. Yes. This is how over he was. This is how central he was to the AWA. I mean, Vince really ripped the heart out of the AWA. Unreal. When this happened. Ganya helpless on the side. And the crowd is chanting. <laughs> oh, yeah? What are they chanting, Ron? Yes, we do. We want Ganya fighting back on Ken Patera. Yeah, I'd ignore that, too, yeah, if I were Strahd Guard. Uh, Christmas yes. night, 1983. Can you imagine right. a world boss where Hulk had yet to be Hogan in WWF? He's only a day away from doing it. Two yep. days. And the, the the arena that's on fire with We Want Hulk chance is not MSG. You know, it's not like a, you know nationally conquered arenas that are now exclusive dominion to Vince McMahon. It's the St. Paul Civic Center. One territory, self-contained. God. They are the ones that wanted to see Hogan before WWF fans. It's unreal. It's so fucking crazy. They're screaming for him on Christmas night, and they're not going to get him. Who is going to get him? St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, One of the early beachheads in Vince McMahon's assault was the St. Louis Territory. He hired Larry Matisik, as we've talked about before. He takes over Mm -hmm. the Chase Hotel wrestling shows. Wrestling at the Chase. Wow. Goes straight there. And uh, presents a card, a taping on December the 27th, as he looks to nationalize, of his all-star wrestling show, his wrestling all-star show. And he um, and he brings in, for the very first time, taking on jobber Bill Dixon, the incredible Hulk Hogan. This is not, you know, obviously the heel Hogan from several years ago. This presentation clearly right. different, and the red and the yellow. And boss, I think it might be time to click that, uh, that video. All right. It airs for the first time. New Year's Day, 1984. So from the wow. very beginning, 1984 is a game-changing year for the industry. Shit. Look at this. Scheduled for one fall with a 10-minute time limit. Introducing from Steubenville, Ohio, weighing Stupidville? in at 250 pounds, <laughs> Bill Dixon. Like Jesus. Is that my cousin? That's him. Listen to that. Wow. Eye of the Tiger. Nobody knows anything. Nobody knows what this means. Let's look at the people. These people were at the first wow. That Hulk Hogan show. Can you believe being there? Seeing him walk out? Walk through the crowd. The white headband that says Hulkster. Yellow trunks. Red knee pads. Vince McMahon on commentary knowing that he's watching his real gambit here. Jesus. WWF banner, WWF Victory Magazine banner hanging. The Victory Magazine banner, of course, symbolizing Vince McMahon Jr. cutting out all the other wrestling press and starting his own. 
I mean, Bill Dixon is like a precursor to King Kong Bundy. <laughs> and who might that be on color commentary, boss? I hear, I hear, I hear Gene. Gene Oakland has also made the jump. The guy who provoked such booing when he announced that Hogan wasn't there on Christmas night follows his ass right into St. Louis. Wow. Jesus Christ. Hogan. WWF debut as that Hogan. That's unreal. Look at Hogan go. He lifts Dixon up on the, onto the fucking ropes there. Hogan. The okay. Hogan. Look at him. Looks right. Yeah, I think Red you're right. Yellow, everything. Drop toe hold by the Hulkster. Yep. Very easily done, the pick down. Very easy. I like the sign for Victory Magazine on the back. Yeah, like I said, that that was the uh, magazine. Oh, look at him. Arm bar. He, obviously, he thought he was in Japan. Jesus. Ichiban was Hogan's son even in 1984. Good God. Look at him. Free spirit. <laughs> yep, he likes to fuck. Hogan likes. He stopped doing this armbar because uh, he couldn't hide his bald spot when he had the armbar on. Wow. Armbar. Imagine being Bill Dixon, just another payday and no idea who he's mixing it up with. What was that? I said, can you imagine being Bill Dixon, thinking this is just another payday, having no idea who he's mixing it up with? Hogan. Also, fun, weird to see Hogan, ho, like, uh, uh, you know, popular Hulk Hogan, you know, red and yellow Hulk Hogan working a fucking uh, squash match. I know. It is weird. So weird. Ooh, elbow. Hard elbow. Yeah. There we go. We got boot. What are you waiting for? Ooh, ladies in the front row. Yep. Want to suck Hogan's dick? Yeah, that's what I think one of them just said, right? Yes. Oh. Axi Boomba. Axi Boomba. Axi Boomba. Fresh off a tour of Japan. And no match. Oh, look at that big slam, scoop slam. Off the ropes. Drops the leg. We'll see you in hell, bitches. Points to the heavens on the three. Welcome to the WWF. Hulk Hogan. That's crazy. That's something. That's absolutely crazy. That's two days taped, two days after Gene tells the crowd in St. Paul that uh, the incredible Hulk Hogan will and Gene's not be there. Gene is there. That's, That's wrestling. That's unbelievable. I mean, nothing, nothing can stop wrestling from being wrestling. And this show definitely proves that out. Um, by, Janu- by the end of January of that year, Hogan would be pinning the Iron Sheik in Madison yep. Square Garden to become champion, launching Hulkamania and the title run that sent the WWF to national prominence, national spotlight, and heights unforeseen for the business, at least since like the 50s. Hogan, Hogan, Hogan. Mm-hmm. Christmas night, 1983, as a key fulcrum in this story. Uh, of course, Bob Backlund would have to be shoved out of the way. He lost the championship <laughs> mysteriously to, to a lot of people. 
The night after the show were diving tonight, December 26th, 1983, in New York City, to the Iron Sheik, when Arnold Skolin throws in the towel. No shit, that is the, that is the night after this? The night after. There is a lot of change happening in this month in the business. That's nuts. Absolutely. You think it's going to be some kind of like restful week where everybody is just, you know, kind of like plotting and planning but not executing. Now, Vince is doing nothing but executing, and he's doing it at such a dizzy pace. He is all about public execution. Public execution of one Vern Gagne. And uh, it's pretty... Um, Mm -hmm. And we saw that, too. We've watched that match. We saw it when we did... um, Yes, we did. One of the crappy Coliseum videos from the 80s. That includes Backlund losing to Sheik. And, uh, yep. yeah, that's probably best WWF Volume 1 because... No, it's not that one. It's it's another... It's a weirder one. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yep. It was WWF's Greatest greatest Matches. Something like that, yeah. I think WWE, yeah, WWE's Greatest Matches. It was like a Volume 1 in its own right, but not best of WWF. Yeah. But, yeah, we talked about how kind of where Backlund was, what kind of headspace he was in. When he dropped the title, just realizing... Yeah, WWE's Greatest Matches. Yep. This weird hour-long... Very strange tape. It was their first... I remember it was their first, like, cut-rate tape for the lower-priced market, so it was much shorter and cheaper. Shorter, and, yeah, they had, like, cut-up matches and everything. Yes, just highlights. And, uh, yeah, that was it for Backlund. All of a sudden, it was over, and Hogan was coming in, and he he didn't want to do the heel turn on Hogan, and Vince Jr. had no use for him at that point. But this is pretty incredible to go back and look at. This is um, the first Observer of 1984 from Meltzer. Ooh. And this is all happening, and word is circulating through the business. The buzz is strong. People are realizing this is big. The headline is called No Prisoners. The wrestling oh war has begun. Yes. What started out a few years back with many people speculating on what the long-term effect of cable TV would be has wound up with its most inevitable result, the consolidation of the major pro wrestling promotions into a few select and very powerful hands. Now promotional struggles are nothing new. They've been around as long as there have been pro wrestling. But there have usually been confined to one area. Now the entire nation, and perhaps the world, has become the battleground as Titan Sports and Vince McMahon Jr. attempt to control the entire business. Actions in the last month have made it obvious McMahon Jr. will stop at almost nothing in quest of his ultimate goal. In the most shocking news in wrestling perhaps in the last decade, the Iron Sheik won the WWF title from Bob Backlund on December 26th at Madison Square Garden. From all clues, it appears this title change was something of a last-minute and very secretive thing. The dumping from Backlund off McMahon's wrestling throne, in a sense, was McMahon's acknowledgement that his headliner in various promotional struggles was not strong enough to ensure running off opposition. About one week earlier, all of a sudden Hulk Hogan, who in the past year has become the number one box office attraction in the business. That's right, Hulk Hogan was the number one attraction in the business before ever going to work for Junior. Backed out of an agreement to remain in the AWA. It was obvious where he was going. Of course, the most recent breakthrough in the WWF heading into St. is the WWF heading into St. Louis. WWF tapings from the Chase Hotel will go into Detroit and the next city on their list, Indianapolis. The WWF in St. Louis, that's something that a few months ago would be unheard of. St. Louis had been the stronghold, really the flagship city of the entire NWA. What about the NWA, the largest and most powerful governing body in pro wrestling? 
We've seen chunks of stone chipped from its side over the past five years, but the latest chip seemed to puncture the heart. Most NWA circuits aren't in good financial shape. Florida's been crumbling the last few months. The situation in Georgia is obvious to even a casual viewer of the weekly TV show. Alabama is on its last legs, with the exception of Dallas and Mid-Atlantic. What NWA... Remember those days when Dallas was the exception? Yeah. Can still pack a big arena. The AWA has never had a more successful season at the gate than this past year. Never. In the last month, those sellouts may become a thing of the past. The loss of Hogan is the biggest blow that could happen to the AWA. The, lo- mm. the loss of David Schultz and Mean Gene Okerlund are also significant. Okerlund's loss cannot be taken lightly. As the corniest announcer going, the man had built up an incredible cult following throughout the AWA. Quite frankly, the AWA TV show is one of the worst in the country, but many people still watched because they didn't want to miss Gene on the interviews. The AWA may be strong enough to weather this tornado of events, but what about when McMahon comes back against them with his array of superstars, Hogan, Slaughter, Adonis, Santana, Schultz, and other well-known favorites to local fans, and with Gene doing his promotion? Remember uh, from Best of the WWF Volume 1, Hogan and Gene teaming up in Minneapolis, remember that? Yep, I do. That's the real declaration of war. That's the... Come back with the tanks rolling in 1985 that, uh, or 1984, I think it was, that uh, Dave's talking about here. <clears throat> Bill Watts and Jerry Jarrett may be the two smartest promoters in the business. The two have formed sort of an alliance pact that they will hope help one another that, against when McMahon attacks. But what happens when McMahon makes a lucrative offer to Butch Reed or the Junkyard Dog? Hmm. About a year away? What ammunition will Watts and Jarrett have at their disposal? McMahon's shocking coup, most shocking coup, is signing, no, McMahon's shocking coup in signing Roddy Piper came at the worst possible time for Jim Crockett. Remember, Crockett's being victimized here, too. Yeah. If Ricky Steamboat really goes through with his retirement, it leaves Mid-Atlantic vulnerable because of a lack of charismatic baby faces. The only one left, Jimmy Valiant, can't wrestle, and those types of things usually catch up to a promoter because in the long run, the spectators get tired of paying for shows devoid of action. Of course, Ric Flair is still around, but it may get frustrating to a man of his ego to be the man an insignificant satellite revolves around instead of the wrestling world itself. With the area lacking in folk heroes, uh, here comes McMahon, wham, fully armed, with Hogan, with Slaughter, with Piper. I fully expect Hogan to wind up with the WWF belt. The average fan seeing Hogan as champion will perceive him as the real champion. Even a superior wrestler like Flair. It's time to set up the 80s, the great 80s debate here already in 84. Yeah, right. Hogan and Flair. Even a superior wrestler like Flair, because he is neither the, the size or physique, nor as great an aura of invincibility surrounding him, would be able to draw as champion <clears throat> against Hogan. Once McMahon has the stars and what fans perceive to be the real champion, plus exposure which he's made great strides in obtaining during mm-hmm. the past year, then few can stand up against him. There is the possibility, of course, that in his quest to take it all, McMahon will spread himself too thin and fail in several areas. Many of his new cities, Dayton, Cincinnati, San Diego, have to be classified as at least minor failures. Going into an area like Dallas, where the fans are completely satisfied with the home promotion and have been cleverly brainwashed to the point that they would never turn their back on the Von Erichs, still looks to me to be impossible. Yeah, well, we talked about that in the the metal tragedy. Yeah. When they did push into Dallas in uh, in 84, it was a failure. Um, 
Right. The world-class fans had nothing for them. But eventually they made their way back. Eventually they found a way, uh, slowly but surely. And then, of course, David Manning breaking off and the Wild West promotion also didn't help things. Bill Watts pushing in. He went to war with them in 86 and got sued with Michael Hayes and the Freebirds on his side. Unbelievable how the business just started mm-hmm. eating itself, except for McMahon, of course, who uh, was at the head of the table. Going into an area like Dallas, like we said, what would fans in Memphis think after seeing a WWF show live? The new cities the WWF has expanded to this past year have been cities that were virtually theirs for the taking. They weren't competing with a popular home promotion. I know that most fans who have a real love for wrestling have dreaded this inevitable attack for a long time. I don't really know what the final result will be. The actions of the past month, however, leave me with a very pessimistic view. Changes in the air, boss. Oh, it is. We didn't just select some bullshit Christmas show. I know. Holy shitballs. What the fuck? Can you get more consequential? So that's the table set. That's Christmas night, 1983 in St. Paul. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to need. Unreal. And what do you think of the show itself? Just taking it in as bell-to-bell action. You know, it's it's got some good moments, honestly. Um, I'm surprised by some of it. I'm surprised by... Um by uh the uh even the opening match you know i'm you know rangins and robinson pretty solid overall um yeah i thought i actually enjoyed it i totally did i thought it breezed by i thought the action was tight i thought everything made sense Um, the only thing i didn't like was that was that eight man tag that was kind of a bore for me yeah that's the match hogan was supposed to be in can you imagine if you were there um, amongst the people that night, how uh, fucked you would have felt. But yeah, it's it's truly uh, it's a remarkable night in so many ways. Particularly looking back, of course. But uh, it is it is a very watchable uh, a very watchable card as well. Oh, for sure. Um, really, really good action. And uh, it's it's significant yeah. in many other ways. I mean, Mad Dog Bashan who was an absolute staple of the territory for 25 years or so at this point. This is really his last big match in the AWA. Oh, no kidding. He had wrestled Bachwinkle for the title on Thanksgiving. AWA also had a Thanksgiving night wrestling tradition. And here was the rematch on Christmas. And while he does hoist the championship at the end of the night, ultimately it's one of those deals Mm -hmm. where he got DQ'd and he doesn't win the belt. But the fans are sent home that Christmas night feeling there was a chance that he was. And uh, that was it, really, for the Mad Dog. He... Eventually went to WWF. He came back to the WWA for a brief period, I think, in 86. But they only yeah. worked him in Winnipeg um, and uh, and uh, didn't really incorporate him back into the main bloodline of the AWA. But that that's significant considering him and Nick Bockwinkel. I mean, they go back. Jesus Christ. These two guys have been feuding as far back as when they were both in the Pacific Northwest in Portland, Oregon mm-hmm. in 1963. I found a clip. From the Capitol Journal in Salem from 1963 oh that has Nick Bockwinkle, the champ, against Mad Dog Vachon for the Northwest heavyweight title. That's nuts. So think about this. 1983, they're still headlining, and they had first faced off in 1963. That's incredible. That's like two different worlds. Yep. And uh, and Bockwinkle obviously was quite young at the time, but think of how old he was in 1983, and look at him work. Oh, he's tremendous. I mean, Dick Bockwinkle is a revelation. We know this. He's a fucking... He is so good. He is so... uh, What he does, both on offense and defense, 
is nothing short of extraordinary. The ground he covers, the amount of yep. like action he creates in that ring, how much sense it all makes. How t- like the, he's so solid. Uh, it's he's truly something remarkable. I, I I have enjoyed watching him ever since we first really <clears throat> saw him, and he's been, you know, he was that guy in the uh, in the AWA Life and Death, and he continues to be that guy Absolutely. in the AWA every time we watch that's him. right yeah he was he was the breakthrough he was the hero of the life and death of the AWA yep. and uh, he's back in our lives this christmas against mad dog vashon an old foe here in the main event for the world title and for Jesse Ventura obviously it's about to end for him as well but uh, his his stardom shines through big on this card it's really a remarkable night historically when you look back at it yeah for sure and uh it's a remarkable time to to be in position for uh, lapsed exclusivity over at Patreon. Oh, yes, I mean, is. holy shitballs. Sure. We have got action and uh, under the cinemat. Suspense. Yeah, tell them, boss. Under the cinemat. Three episodes <laughs> under our belt. Christmas-themed. Santa with muscles. Jingle all the way. Santa's sleigh. Yep. You've been in the chair You've been driving the boat. I've been in the passenger seat, and it's been a fun ride. It is a definitely a fun ride. It is. It is. Uh, uh, it's a very. It's a. It's a very. You know. I, I said this before. It's a very stressful thing, like putting together uh, uh, these these shows, and like and then having the information and telling the the story from beginning to end. And I'm. I'm. You know. I, but it's been. It's week, been great. The amount he's been able to find. I mean, folks, you. Oh, you really are getting seriously. like a movie version of the lapsed fan, and that you're you're getting pretty much what you're going to want to know about the movie. I mean, yeah, especially through the lens of let's focus really as much as we can on the wrestler in the movie. I mean, that's why this belongs right in TLF. It's not just us talking right. about movies in a vacuum. It's us focusing more obsessively than anyone else would about every little yeah. morsel of info about the wrestler in the movie and why. Yeah, and and there is and 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 I'm always surprised with what I find. There's always something fascinating um you know, I mean it's like this. It's it's like, you know, we 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 discover things as we do the main show and there's just so much about either the movie, the people making the movie and uh uh, uh it, it's 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 really special and that is available only to our executive producers. That's correct. All right. That is a, a, a special uh, tier that gets everything else and this. And this. And That's right. I will, I will emphasize again, there will be no, uh, unlike the other tiers, there will be no... Trickle down. Shifting down. Trickle down. You either, you're either an EP or you're that's not. That's correct. And that's fine. You know, there, there can only yeah. be so many EPs, totally but that's the bankroll that makes the thing turn. Yeah. And a lot of folks yeah. have figured this out since we joined you last. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank Marty Longhurst for bumping his pledge up into that tier. He writes, you ass scavengers now have your $20 tithe. (laughs) Your hard sell weighed on me for a week until I submitted to the girth and density. I am lie here bruised and ashamed of running back to my abusive ear spouses at the first late night request. If it pleases you, could you bring back lapsed Lloyd of London? He is the low-key MVP of the lapsed (laughs) cast. Well, next time... Next time we, uh, we 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 go into the uh, into the uh, uh, insurance vault, sure, well, well, he'll he'll be there. Yes, heaven needed a first intercontinental champion. I would agree That's for sure. with that. Dennis Owens, welcome to the executive producer tier, my friend. That's a way to come in 
and make an impact, yeah. to make a statement. James Pascoe, thanks very much for bumping up that pledge so that you qualify for that ultra-premium content. Same to Noe, thanks very much for joining uh, that EP tier and doing the damn right thing. Sam Abbott, we see you, my friend. Welcome to Under the Cinemat. We also need to send thanks to J.P. Hardy, who bumped up his pledge so that he qualifies. Getting in line, we need to thank Majid. I don't appreciate that name. <laughs> I don't appreciate it at all. No, what it, it triggers no, you. Don't be putting my don't be putting my fucking name in 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 with the hardest. It was a rib, brother. I don't fucking I don't care what it was. Majid Subzwari. It's not funny. It's not fun. Thank you, sir, for bumping up to that tip top tier. Enjoy beyond the cinemat. Same to hey, it's the username BFHRT151. We appreciate the cake, my friend, the pudding, whatever it might be from that side of the pond. Uh, Marcus Klassen. Klassen, thanks very much for jumping up to the $20 uh, executive producer tier. Nick Russ, we see you, my friend, and we want to thank you for your generosity, as uh, a great toy store maven once said, to show our appreciation for your generosity. <laughs> and, folks, there's no shortage. May, 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 may I make a suggestion? <laughs> oh, oh and, may, and may I make a suggestion? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Take the turtle doves. <laughs> I can have two? Oh, what? two turtle doves. Two turtle doves. I love it. Fuck, it's that time of year. <laughs> I mean, we are fucking right on the precipice. Um, time to unwind. Time to count our blessings. Yeah. Time to count our fucking Patreon money. Thanks to folks like... Time for mulled wine. Oh, Jesus. The hot toddies. <laughs> Jack's Matt, we appreciate you joining uh, one of our many tiers. I mean, you know, it's not just executive producer. That is the primo. Yep. Not everyone can do it. We get it. And there's no excuse beyond that. I mean, we, we just give you so much at the $10 tier, at the 316 tier. Oh, my God. $10 entitles we you just, to everything, including ad version. We just gave you a fucking pay-per-view call, for God's yes, sake. Yes, I know. The, the monthly pay-per-view calls, the, the thing that really started this real ball, the snowball, if you will, yeah. rolling downhill. Um that's that's huge. Every month we watch modern WWE so you don't have to and make the remarks you would make if you took the time or had the inclination and just help you realize that, you know, no matter how much modern wrestling you watch, it doesn't it yep. does not um decay uh the the thesis. It does not whittle away the point of the show is that it used to be better for reasons that oh, folks yeah. refuse to address. Um so that's fun and we'll continue doing that. On into the new year. Rumble season's coming. You don't want to be oh my God. some bitch like pledging on that Sunday of Rumble because you told yourself you were too cool for it. Just <laughs> do it now before you forget and uh, before you get left flat-footed and blue-balled. So the $10 tier, you get first crack at, at fresh-baked audio uh, with the exception of Beyond the Cinemat, Under the Cinemat, too. Yeah. Uh, both of them. Beyond, beyond, I've done that beyond, several under, times. I know. It's, gonna, it's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. Uh, also, the Hall of Shame and Pain. Uh, a special for patrons that's been cracking. We did Pat Patterson's Hall of Fame speech from 1996 after we dropped our two-part tribute to the man. We did Dusty Rhodes' speech after the Art of War games. It's where we drop, like, sort of adjacent material that we feel is fun and worth diving that uh, doesn't really have a home, but we know if you pay us, you'll appreciate it. And so we want to do things for people who appreciate it and ignore those who don't. That's the only way to get through life. And so it will continue. Um, 
We also have, of course, the Fable for Threes up there, the trial transcripts from Vince's 94 trial, the trial of his life, just so much stuff popping on Patreon, boss, and it's only going to keep continuing. It's going to keep get, continuing, keep getting better. I mean, also, for those who uh, who uh, uh, enjoyed the uh, Survivor Series Countdown show. Yes, thank you so much for that. We we you know, covered the actual... We have these random specials, mm-hmm. too, that come on, and other you know random content whenever it can pop up. Mm-hmm. That's where we're going to put it. You know, I've, I've been here... You know, with we we've been staying at my at my parents' place to have some openness and some freedom, and uh, you know they, uh, uh, I've been going through a bunch of shit. We had the uh, my old magazine reading, reading through my old WWE magazines that I fucking it's custom wrote. yes, custom mags. Uh, you know, always always down for doing something like that. Tremendous shit, and uh, folks are getting in line. Jordan Scapecci, thanks very much for joining. The TLF Solar System, my friend, enjoy. Pete McTaggart, same to you. We appreciate it very much. Will Valdez, holler at your boy. Get that shit done. Sam Green, we see you bumping that pledge. You can be first in line for a ton of that content. We love it. Michael Pitt, thanks for bumping up what you send the co-chairman's way on the monthly. Same to you, Trevor Badger. Thanks for maturing and bumping up in that uh, pledge total. So many folks to thank. So little time. But uh, we do love it, and we do love it all. You need to be reminded that if Patreon isn't your thing, you can drop us some money on PayPal. Malapsedfan at gmail.com. Just enter that into your PayPal and drop it in, just like the Cash App or whatever the fuck the kids are doing these days. Got one from our man Blake who says, Christmas stocking stuffer for the butthole bandits of carny casting (laughs) because they deserve it. I wish you both and your families a very Merry Christmas. Even Boss's childhood painter that watched primetime. Oh my God! I cannot get him out of my mind. I only have one meager request. Can we please hear Lapsed Lanny recite the lyrics to the Psycho song by Conan? I believe it was the Filthy Animals' first song, so it only seems fitting to close with Keep the Change, You Filthy Animals. Psycho? Mm-hmm. That's enough! This Thanksgiving... Turkey with the cranberry. <laughs> this might be a, a link that'll serve you. Oh, you, got, uh, you gave me something. Oh, he did provide a link. I don't know if it'll work, though. Oh, okay. But while you, uh, while you source out that, um, Anna thanks us for the cameo, even though we <laughs> went in a totally different direction than she expected. She wanted us to talk about uh, That's Russo and Nash booking Starcade 98 differently. Uh, the translation of the request got lost. She thought Nash was going to book his own win and was set to go when Russo comes in like the cock of the walk and wants to win, which makes Kevin passive-aggressive pissed off. Then they would debate his enemies, Vince thinking Vince should win, Nash thinking Nash. Oh, well, my ass is ripped and I got what I deserve. Merry Christmas. That's fucking right. That, now you're starting to understand. That's, that's the way that it goes. So it's, we got no control over it all. Uh, Andrew, commenting on our Pat Patterson tribute episodes, thanks for doing this Memorial TLF, that last match of Pat Pat. Brought a tear to my eye. Yeah, it did us too. It was as tough to watch as I'm sure it was to do. Um, Alex writes, When you guys did Over the Edge, I wanted to cry. The Benoit episodes kept me up at night. The Montreal specials pissed me off. This was the first TLF that made me want a shower. Talking about (laughs) the tributes to Pat Patterson and the way he was allowed to retire uh, with dignity toward the end of things. All right, I think I'm here. 
Give us a sense. Give us a taste. I got most of it. Feel free to fill in the... Oh, wait, this is not... The, I turned my life around with me in a single bag. And you got the fucking nerve to ask me where the fuck I'm at. Different stages, different faces I see up in the crowd. It's the it's them same ass fools that say my mind's in the clouds. Vato, 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 how you make us get down. Now what's the name of every soldier of ours who bring the sound? Easy pulling tricks like your David Copperfield. So let's uh, sign this spiel on the two-inch wheel. I snatch the rabbit out of your hat and choke it. I snatch the weed out of your pocket and smoke it. Do you really want to fuck with a pero down with a skeleton playing a cello from the ghetto? Thank you, lady. <laughs> a pero. Is that how they pronounce it? Pero. A, a pero. You know, James reminds us. In the us, ghetto. We're talking last week about Lord Humongous, right? As the uh, yes. inspiration for some of the Undertaker stuff, Jeff Van Camp. And uh, yeah. on our Survivor Series 90 show, James reminds us we've actually covered this at length during the War Games journey. Here we are thinking, we ever talk about this? Oh my before? God, that's so fucking funny. Including covering Lord Humongous, but you guys should probably actually watch Mad Max. Not even as a movie, just as a reference for all these copied gimmicks. Yeah, that's probably true. Lord Humongous and that exact gimmick, hockey mask and demolition straps, is a character in the film. Uh, part two, actually. And thanks to Brian for pointing that out. So, yeah, that's... Uh, that's incredible. He also notes uh, Ray Stevens last week and uh, Chicken this week. It's nonstop ejaculation at that cat. <laughs> That's, yeah, that makes sense. A lot sense of that too. going on. Will Winthrop, our good friend, remembers Rotten.com. My very first internet experience was as a seven-year-old spending a night going through that website with my dad and uncle. Mentioning that website reminded me of seeing a picture of a guy's eyeballs popping out whilst stuck between a train and a yeah. platform. Vivid memory brought to the fore. Not sure what that says about my upbringing. Not sure, yeah. Will. Dark times. Dark times, my friend. Dark times. Dark times. Tom wants us to know that Kevin Nash has the lead role in the upcoming film The Swerve. The movie plot line is as follows. A grieving young man teams with a grifting heel to follow in his famous father's footsteps and con his way into the colorful and gritty world of professional wrestling. Seems appropriate that the words con and grifting are pre prominently featured. Bischoff is executive producer, but surprisingly, Vince Russo is nowhere to be found. Boss, The Swerve, coming to a theater near you. <laughs> Uh, I'll, all right. Sure. Na hey, you know what? That'll add that to the list. Oh, my God. Nash has opened up a uh, an under-the-cinemat support fund lately. Oh, absolutely. He's got the pandemic movie coming out, if it's not already out, right? Oh, my God. That's fucking hilarious. It never ends. This is a bottomless reservoir. Just like yep. when we set yep. out to, to review wrestling shows for the cast, and we're like, the great thing is we'll never run out of shows. Never. It's just fucking Same's true with the movies. even more. Same thing with the movies. Yep. 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 Never run out of wrestling-related movies or nope. movies featuring wrestlers. Cliff writes to your co-chairs, I'm very far behind on my episodes. I just finished part one of Fall Brawl 1998, so I'm sorry if this email does not fit with whatever episode you're reading this during. In regards to your critique of the NWO Wolfpack, yeah, that group is cringeworthy. I have to admit, 
I bought a black and red NWO shirt. It was August 98, and I thought it looked really cool. I mean, it was just the NWO logo in red, but I'm a mark for the red and black color scheme. However, I was not watching WCW week by week by that point. I was a WWF fan at heart. And when it started to get better than WCW again, it was like watching the New York Jets actually have a winning season after years of mediocrity, which in fact happened in 98, too. Even though I wasn't following WCW as closely, I still had a general sense of what was going on, including the new Wolfpack faction. I certainly didn't ascertain that these idiots thought they were embracing the hip-hop lifestyle. I watched the promo that you sampled on your Fall Brawl show, and all I could say is that my best Ric Flair, Mike, oh my god. First of all, Conan comes out wearing, like, I don't know, an NWO blanket? And why is his visor upside down? It's supposed to block the sun, idiot. Then you got Lex Luger coming out with a goofy smirk and doing the wolf hand gesture like a little kid is trying to copy everything his dad is doing, in his case, his daddy being Big Kev. Then we get to the promos. Oh, fuck me, the promos. I second your sentiment when it comes to Nash's shtick in the beginning, wolf pack in the house, holler if you hear me. Oh, so ridiculous. What was his gimmick? A dad that tries to relate to his kids by saying <laughs> the cool slang of the day? Kevin Nash talking street is the equivalent of me saying to my son, that's mad lit, no cap. After that is Conan's promo. <laughs> which has no real substance because it's just a checklist of his catchphrases. I'll give Luger credit. He doesn't try to talk any slang. Still, he sounds like Luger, which just sounds out of place next to I got your hookup and yeah. we bout about it and rowdy rowdy. Oh, and by the way, and the way Luger says, tell him, Big Kev, sounds like something he practiced saying in the mirror for an hour. Who am I kidding? Luger never practices promo skills. No. Anyway, beyond Luger, look who else was in this group. Sting? This guy's gimmick was to be dark and mysterious. Now he was trying to be cool. Sting, you were already cool. You're less cool when you try to be cool. Yeah. My parents taught me that lesson in middle school. Randy Savage, did he really need to be part of this shit? It was degrading to a man of his stature. Kurt fucking Hennig? That's a bigger miscast than having Mel Gibson play Oscar Schindler. I really think these guys were trying to mimic... Well, I would have been I would have been okay with that. I would have watched that. <laughs> yeah. The re-release. The, uh, yes. the redux. I really think that these guys were trying to mimic what was going on with DX. I mean, DX had their fair share of catchphrases, too, and they were trying to pull off a certain hip-hop look. Think about it. Triple H had one of those backwards leather newsboy hats. X-Pac oh, and Billy Gunn both had bandanas. Road Dog had the dreads, and their theme contained the guy who was imitating Rage Against the Machine's vocalist. But you know what? The people in that video I watched were into the wolf pack. You can't deny that they were popular at the time. That's correct. I would not for I a mean, second. I mean, they're all friends. Yeah, Think of that. yeah. Well, that's Nash true. Yeah. And trips and Pac. They're, they're they're comparing notes across the yeah, uh, the Rubicon. No question about it. Of course, you can't deny their pop at the time as cringeworthy as as cringeworthy as it is to look back on now. That group was over in 1998, and I bought their fucking shirt. We all make mistakes, Cliff. Well, I'm glad the Art of War yeah. games could bring to terms with that. We wondered last week why there was an O.J. Simpson reference related to Saudi Arabia on the Survivor yeah. Series call. Andrew David reminds us that O.J. Simpson was a sideline commentator and interviewer for NBC Sports. NBC aired, uh, carried rather, AFC football games from 65 to 97. Its coverage included a Thanksgiving Day game featuring an AFC team versus NFC team matchup. Most likely, Simpson was assigned to an American military base in Saudi Arabia to interview U.S. troops and get footage of them eating Thanksgiving meals as they watched NFL's NBC's football coverage. NBC Sports right. did this in an effort to shore up its patriotic bona fides during the Gulf War, which had begun three months earlier on August 2nd, 1990. Oh, man, Gulf War Day is a simpler time. I know, right? It's... <laughs> it's uh... It's weird when a when wartime is a simpler time. Isn't it true? Uh, 
Patrick wants to know that Tugboat's theme is a fucking banger. If that was played yeah. at a rave pre-COVID, I bet people would lose it. Also, I put this Jake Roberts theme on a mixtape I made in eighth grade. None of my friends liked it, but hey, look now, 20 years later, and Stranger Things has made Synthwave relevant. Poor John Carpenter. Oh, it's totally true. Isn't it? It's totally fucking well, true. What's the vibe? You get Jake Roberts vibes from that? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Do you watch Stranger Things? No, I haven't. Well, I'm going to play the theme for you. Yeah, I guess when they it starts with trust me, trust me, and an echo, it kind of <laughs> yeah, that was the weirdest yeah, part. Yeah, sets it off. Um, but here. Oh, here he comes. Of course. Love it. Yeah, yeah that's it. For, also, a great show. You should watch it. I've heard. I've heard. Frank writes during the jukebox. Talk about nostalgia. That 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 show lives, breathes, uh, uh, reproduces, and eats, and regurgitates. Nostalgia. Traffics in it. I can just tell by yeah. the the font they use for the logo of the show that yeah. they're reaching yeah. for a certain eighties I mean, aesthetic. It is. Yeah. Every every they, they reference so many fucking things in that show. It's 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 a weird mix of. Horror, sci-fi, and nostalgia, and it's it's amazing what they do. I think tremendous. I've loved it. Frank writes during the jukebox performance of Tito Santana's theme. My dog was looking around like he was worried about getting rolled up. Well, yeah, no, it happens. Yeah, you don't don't play uh, TLF uh, lightly on the Alexa. I'll say that. Um, a lot of people have asked for this. Hulk Hogan asks for it as well. I got to ask you, boss. He's got a request. Mm. Uh, even if you get heat with the wife, feel free to decline. If so. Oh, God. But he'd like to hear a chop exchange between Nikolai Volkov and Lex Luger. (laughs) Wow! Yeah! (laughs) Wow! You don't still have the Volkov sound, do you? Uh, Hold on. I think I do... Leaf writes, heard JP wondering about Volkov turning face. Uh, I remember it happened on Superstars one week when the Bolsheviks were set to explode. It was purportedly a heel-versus-heel match, and Borsukov and Nikolai Volkov were each going to try to out-sing each other at the Russian national anthem before the match. After Zukov sang, Volkov got on the mic and unexpectedly broke into a rendition of the... Of that... One more time, please. <laughs> Such a fucking goof, this guy. Nikolai, <laughs> going to work. I'm not fucking cast. The unnecessary intensity for this crap match by this goof. Yes. Nikolai Volkov. Yeah. <laughs> 
After Zukov sang, Volkov got on the mic and unexpectedly broke into not that, but a rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. Big pop, instant wow. face turn. No disagreement that it was stupid, of course. Another note that came to mind. The wondering aloud about why Perfect wasn't a challenger to Warrior brought this to mind. Mr. Perfect had a perfect record since his 1988 debut, and then for some very strange reason, on the eve of WrestleMania six, he jobbed to Warrior at a televised MSG house show. That was the end of his undefeated run. They lit it on fire to give it to Warrior at a house show, right before Warrior was going to get the moon push of all moon pushes by pinning Hogan and clean anyway. Then, Perfect went on to lose to Brutus Beefcake and Mania, which at least would have given someone a rub for finally going over the undefeated Mr. Perfect, but it drew no mention on the broadcast. I long wondered why, until I... Why would it? What's that? (laughs) Why would it? Yeah, I know. Fucking loser. I long wondered why, until I found out in recent years that they for some reason put Warrior over him at that house show. Yeah, yeah, they just suddenly cooled on him, as far as, like, after the Hogan program, they were like... That he was like IC title for life level. It seems like. Um, Paul writes, "You you made me picture Andre with the eggshell stuck around his waist like the baby and dinosaurs." I love you for that, Gene. I think I hear the egg cracking. No, Gene, that's my back. I'm in so much pain. <laughs> uh, boss uh, Corey in Winnipeg, our good friend up in Great uh-huh. North, has some thoughts on Survivor Series 1990 last week's episode. Uh, Want to share those with the Solar System? Yeah, I can do that. All right. I can do that. Let's get it for you. Let's hook them up on those guns I got, brother. All right. Uh, Dear Chairman, hopefully this letter is not too late to make it into your podcast this week. Well, it is. Survivor Series 90 was a glorious time in that golden era of wrestling. As a fan, my obsession ramped up. The, from the late 70s to mid-80s, and then burned like a mega nova to the early to mid-1990s. The inclusion of a final match of all the survivors seemed like a brilliant evolution of the event. I was sad that they never tried it again. The biggest weakness of the execution of, of this format was the lack of any drama on that final outcome. The heroes didn't really have arch-rivals to go against. Despite being outnumbered, there was never any doubt that Hogan and Warrior would prevail. This card was the first pay-per-view I got to watch live. My friend with the old-school satellite would usually get the tape uh, right after, and we'd watch, uh, we'd watch later that night. But this time, we were live and in color. To go from waiting months for a VHS release to actually watching it live was a dream come true. The Warriors team was, r- was a really epic group. But the rush nature of the matches didn't really let their, let that play out very well. Road Warriors versus Demolition was one of the dream matches that people wanted in the 80s. By the time the LOD entered the WWE, the shine was mostly off of Demolition, and we were never given that big pay-per-view showdown between the two teams. Axe's health forced the inclusion of Crush and Demolition was never really portrayed as an equal to the Road Warriors. It was one of the very rare times that Vince allowed a team slash wrestler from other promotions to truly get over on their homegrown franchise that he created in Demolition. Perfect getting the basically clean pin on Kerry was a nice payback for Hennig fans who had to suffer the SummerSlam loss to the Tornado. The Ultimate Warrior was, was really quite awful in this match. Bill Eadie tried his best to work with him, but that's but their sequence sequences were clumsy and looked rushed and bad. Axe having to adjust himself on the ground to make the splash look uh, to make to take the splash rather looked specifically bad. After the rude SummerSlam match, Warrior really needed another top heel to carry him. Perfect should have been that guy. He should never have lost to Beefcake and been kept 
It's beefcake. When was a beefcake? Oh, it's WrestleMania? Oh, I guess, yeah. yeah. And been kept perfect for a run with Warrior. Maybe a count-out win or something on a Saturday night's main event before finally losing to Warrior. It was poor planning. Uh, it was poor planning. Back to the match, when the Warrior missed the splash in the corner onto the exposed turnbuckle, I almost, I stress almost, thought Perfect could win. Foolish me, at least they let Kurt look pretty good before doing the honors for Warrior. For the Million Dollar Team versus Dream Team match, can you imagine if bad news had remained in the match and that we didn't get the Undertaker debut? We would have really lost an iconic moment in wrestling. I was a big fan of Mean Mark in WCW. Oh, so you were the guy. You were yeah, the there was guy. one, yeah. There was one. Uh, so when I saw him uh, walk out as the surprise partner, I was really excited. I was worried his gimmick would actually limit him, but boy, was I wrong. To be fair, a lot of those over-the-top gimmicks did more harm than good, so you can see why I was worried. Seeing Honky pinned so easily after his epic IC run was sort of shocking. The clean pin on Dusty was... Uh, uh, was big, and eliminating the Undertaker by countout saved him from being pinned versus uh, Hogan Warrior at the end. Technically, he could have survived and gone to the end to maybe choke out Tito until he was DQ'd, but I think what they did made the most sense. Bret Hart showed the continued signs of why he would reach the top of the Federation soon. Visionaries versus Vipers, I just love how how much losing Shawn Michaels had to do early in his WWE career on pay-per-view. Hulkamaniacs versus Natural Disasters went, went as expected. It was funny to see Typhoon and Earthquake adopt the name uh, later. Oh, the Natural Disasters, yeah. On paper, the Alliance versus the Mercenaries looked terrible, but was actually quite entertaining. What match was he watching? Yeah, I would disagree there. I would disagree heartily. This was essentially Tito's last hurrah for any kind of big win. Seeing the flying forearm take out Chumps was pretty awesome. It seemed like Slaughter was destined to win, but Tito got through on the DQ. The finale was a bit of a letdown, uh, even with Tito taking out the Warlord with one shot. This format, in a situation where the winning side wasn't so obvious, could have worked really well. The evolution of the Survivor Series to being essentially a normal card with a token classic Survivor Series match makes me want to puke. It's part of everything that's wrong with modern wrestling and even the downside of the success of the Attitude Era and Raw. The change in philosophy for TV meant that things like Saturday Night's main event and Clash of the Champions were no longer needed. Survivor Series is the same way. Because they never solved the problem of adding relevant stakes to the matches, the pay-per-view moved away from what made it special. The Royal Rumble found that niche by being a great event and also ha adding the title shot stipulation. For the Survivor Series, you're looking at four to six or more matches with teams, so there isn't any w easy way to add real stips. You could add fake money being on the line, but I doubt that would get it done. This final Survivor, Survivor, you know, this final Survivor premise does make it a bit more realistic to award the winning team some sort of title contract with two or three people uh, earning such a prize opposed to whatever number would, uh, would be left from multiple team matches without a final elimination spot. To me, the Survivor Series stopped being the Survivor Series a long time ago. Agreed. It's just another pay-per-view. Uh, in the late 80s, you could slap almost any team matches together and the fans starved for content would lap it up. Now watching matches is the same format apparently uh, 
now watching matches in this oh now watching matches in this same format apparently make no sense to the audience i guess the real issue that they would have is that the matches would never end since you need to do 25 finishers to each wrestler to eliminate them now mm. when it comes to the survivor series it used to be much better stay lapsed my friends so much better indeed thank you Corey. Yeah, I agree. Some uh, takes on the 1990 Survivor Series. Last week's show brought to you by your coach here. 30 years uh, hence. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Uh, Ryan says, yeah. thank you very much for the comprehensive, comprehensive coverage of the war games. I've really enjoyed this journey. Told you that was going to start happening, folks. The further yep. away we got from it, the more folks stopped sleeping on it. And you have certainly kept me sane during these trying times. I'm absolutely hooked on the lapsed fan. Speaking of hooked, what would happen? What would the lapsed newspaper editor have to say after witnessing a CZW event? What would that sound like? Happy holidays to oh, you and God. your families. <laughs> I, I, you know, I get it. It's weird, but that the... the the lapse editor is a very specific headspace. Amen. Amen. Look, you're the one that and, sets the rules. You're the one. And I can't. And I can't do it. I New mean, Year's resolution, by the way. We already said it. Incoming requests to be puppeteered. Uh, yeah. If it's not cameo, it's not guaranteed. Yeah. Folks are uh, going a little nuts, and that's fine. We love to entertain, oh and we God. know it's some of the highlights yes. of the show. But we're going to start having we to be like more selective. Monkeys. Yes. Uh, Tom Atanasio, the greatest lapsed fan of all time, leading the league. Um, yes. And all-time dollars contributed to the show, uh, all-time uh, girth shown and demonstrated, um, who we deeply appreciate. And, you know, this being the Christmas show, you, you got to know the 1K Club as much praise as we sing for, you know, our new uh, executive producers and our long-time pleasures. Uh, mm -hmm. 
it doesn't get any more real than the 1K Club folk. We're talking Atanasio, Mike Hornecker, Pedro Rios, Danny Einkavu, yep. Paul Ford, Brandon from New Jersey, Brian Blake, Josh Marbury, Mark Diaper, Jim Rocco, Her- uh, Will Winthrop, uh, Robert Holtzhammer, Harry Cocoronis, Gerard Martin, Christian Bauer, Sox, Dominic Carrera, Brian Heights, Rob Doherty, the King of Homestyle, Louis Perez, James Riley, and Leron Mason. And uh, in the new year, there's going to be a few more if uh, current trends persist. I would love you for it. All the way back to 2015, a lot of these cats, when we first started doing this shit. Oh, I not know. a joke, not a game, never has been. Good luck catching up to any of them, but if you join the executive producer tier, it'll probably help quite a bit in that march towards relevance. But uh, we appreciate it. Tom writes to us, As a person who makes his living in historical entertainment, one of the first things you learn from history is no one ever dies. At least, not really. Mm. During the entire lapsed fan era, through the live call of Survivor Series 2020, Pat Patterson was around. And I think it's safe to assume Vince, at some point or another, called Patterson into his office, even during Pat's hiatus. I think Vince was still calling Pat into his office. I think it's a simple equation. If Pat himself was alive, then lapsed Pat was alive. What are you going to do? Have lapsed Vince call that fat piece of shit slob Richard in whenever you guys decide we deserve Royal Rumble 88? That just won't ring true. (laughs) It has to be Pat, and I don't think you should worry one second about using him. Now, when you do the Rumble 2021 live call, sadly, Vince will probably have to call lapsed Bruce in and berate him. Perish the thought. But from when Vince bought the company in 1982 until Pat's death in December 2020, Pat is lapsed Vince's man, your man, and more importantly, the solar system's man. Subject line, lapsed, Pat must survive. Boss Tom Atanasio weighs in on, wow. on a critical question, an existential question that we're still grappling with two weeks after the death of Pat Patterson. Indeed. So, perhaps stay tuned. Brady writes, Jack being called out for his technophobia might be my new favorite TLF segment. Sorry. <laughs> yes, I do have it coming to me. I know. Uh, I know. I, I tend to only see its destructive tendencies and forget. Sure. I forget what it was like in 2009 when people thought Facebook was a force for good in the world. I do tend to forget that. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know, uh, we're, we're put in that situation. It's a weird yeah. It's a weird time because it's because there's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad, and, and there's just one too many teenagers swinging by their necks from their door frames um, right. because of mm-hmm. their phones that I yeah. just, I think it might be an unsalvageable situation we found ourselves in. But yeah. I hold out That's hope true. at the same time. I hold out hope. I just, I know when this very powerful technological force uh, crosses with uh, mental instability, which this business yeah. tends to draw like a honeypot almost, um, it, it can make for very dangerous outcomes. And um, the the work becomes a shoot real quick. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. I'm not worried about the work. Right. I'm worried about when people turn the work into a shoot. When people assume that, you know, uh, the amusement on their phone is real life, yeah. that's a problem. Um, so we appreciate all of you, and uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy my being taken to task. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly deserve it. Um, I certainly overreact. Uh, so we have uh, one final note here uh, from Chris. Chris writes, what's up, you co-chair motherfuckers? It's a good question. <laughs> That's a good Which point. I guess he says means you guys are sharing a chair together. Don't know how that's possible with JP's figure, but I digress, boys. Look at that boss coming for the boss. Wow. 
coming straight wow. from no co-chair is you know you have two chairmen it's a common term right. in business yeah. you don't share an actual physical chair no so since, since i've come back i've bought some personal earbuds and now not only are you in my ear at work he writes now you're in my ear all day and night until i hit the bed which means no all right Guess who's caught up on that highway marker as you claim to be leaving me? I'm riding your asses on the highway now and yelling at you to get out of the fast lane. So this is, um, Chris was somebody that we had said, like, you know, you're way behind, like, ah. you know, one day you'll catch up, but not now. And nope, he's, there. he's there. It tends to happen. You go deep. All right, pal. Welcome. I go to the Starcade 2019 review today and heard you read my last email. I seem to remember I teased some stories. I'll give you guys one right now. In the Henderson, right. North Carolina Armory, they had a show. My best friend's dad, wrestler and promoter named Simply Wonderful David Lee Gilbert, dude still has an Angel Fire website still up. Reply back for the link. It's gold. We'll look at that in a second. He booked none other than Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express, who still had the bleach mullet, but apparently only signed on to be an autograph signer and didn't wrestle. Here's the good shit. So at eight years old, me and my best friend get up to go get some nachos or some shit, and we walk by Ricky Morton's autograph booth, which was positioned right at the entranceway curtain. He looks at us. He gives the rock and roll hand sign to us. Now what do we, as eight-year-old kids, in the midst of the Attitude Era, do back to him? Eight-year-old me, crotch-chopped, and said, suck right. it, old That's man. What you do. Get, Suck it, old man. I can imagine how he must have died inside it, what the current state of the business was doing to the youth. Well, anyway, who cares? Fuck him. Yes! Yes! That's right! Fuck he was him. nice to you. Fuck, Fuck him. him. Also, another thing you'll love to hear is that my boss I mentioned in the last email... Yeah, he mentioned how his boss was yeah. in a wrestling. Well, he started... And how he told him he should listen to the lapsed fan. Well, he started going home and rewatching the old network shows while listening to your show from the start. Wow. Get your boss into that's TLF. Crazy. That's a... You're damn that's right. That's a great Fuck way that. to listen at work, isn't it? That's brilliant. What a move. And he tells me every morning that when he tells him, his wife, Pam, that he's going to watch wrestling, she rolls her eyes and says, Oh, my God. Long live fake awesome. sports. Long live that fucking cast. You guys are incredible, and I can't wait for this Patterson show. Well, I hope you're there, and I hope you're enjoying right. it by now, Chris. Thanks for the for the love. I mean, um, as much as you can enjoy it. He, he wants us to rip the shit out of this guy that he mentioned, this trainer, because he has this old website. So I don't know if you want to have right, some. Let's take a look at the website and see what we got. <laughs> I'm That's all about the ripping people apart. Take a look. What do you, oh, Jesus Christ. What do you make of What them? the fuck is this? <laughs> wow, what's wrong? What is this <laughs> what's shit? What's wrong? Tell the people what you see. All right. So it comes up. Oh, it's seriously. When was all this a lot? Oh, yeah. Copyright 2001. So this is almost 20 years Remember when websites looked like that? It's got one of those. Huh? Remember when websites looked like that? Oh, I know. So it's, it's, it's a black background. Yes. It's got, you know, graphics that kind of. Like it's got two blinking hearts. <laughs> You've got a. It's got a fucking scroll up to. It says "Welcome to my world," and it looks. You know, oh God. Chris's best friend's it's, dad. Fuck it. Simply, it's got a world. Yeah. Uh, it's got a. It's got a, 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 a mailbox. You know where you can email, and there's a counter at the bottom to let everyone know how many people have come here. <laughs> 2,316 oh people goodness. have come here since 2001, so it's not going well. Let's see what's going on for news. Uh, nothing. Nothing's in the news section. Good. Uh, bio. <laughs> All right. Oh, look at this clown. Oh, my God. So he's 5'7", 192 pounds. Titles held the NAWA Cruiserweight. Wow. 
CWA cruiserweight, USWF cruiserweight, <laughs> USWF tag. His, oh, he steals. He's got the Famouser as his finishing move. David Lee Gilbert is one of the smallest men in professional wrestling today. Cool. That's a great way to start it off. But what he lacks in size, yes. he more than makes up for in wrestling knowledge. <laughs> After only six years in the business, Gilbert has, has faced more than his fair share of tough opponents. Mm-hmm. Wrestling with and against such names as the Rock and Roll Express, Ivan Koloff, Jimmy the Boogie Woogie Man Valiant, uh, Bobby Fulton, Jackie Fulton, the Barbarian, the Ma- Dude, these are not good people. Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason. Uh, Lou Fez. Jack Parr. Uh, Jack <laughs> Jack Atkinson. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Chris, so, Chris writes, he uh, was trained by C.W. Anderson, but about 15 years ago, his youngest daughter hit up C.W. on MySpace saying, you trained my dad. What was C.W.'s response? Your dad was at the school one day and quit. Wow, you're damn right he was. He's a fucking Come loser. on, boss. That's what he Go is. hard this Christmas loser. or what? This motherfucker. Huh? His stupid hearts and God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. Change your website. Tremendous. True. Stop it. Angel fire. God almighty. <laughs> what decade are Dumpster we Dumpsterfire.com is more like it. So hope that I hope you enjoyed our Christmas present to you, Chris. We're feeling especially generous, so we ripped the shit out of your... Uh, Best friend's dad. What a piece of yes. shit. Yes. So uh, we're trying to put gifts under trees here at our last show of 2020 as we ring in the holidays. And uh, thanks to all who have pledged. Patreon.com slash fan is the one-way street into our hearts and into relevance. Um, we say it over and over again because it needs to be said. Uh, labor deserves to be paid for. Any good podcast mm-hmm. is labor. And so let's make this fucking make sense. I mean, I don't know what the problem is. Yep. Get it done means something do it because you get something out of it not because we get something out of it and to ride us into our break and to our deep dive of this very special christmas night in saint paul we're going to turn it over to our discussion uh, with producer tj desantis a native minnesotan all right get us a little closer to the texture to the sights the sounds the smells of growing up in minnesota around christmas time with the vestiges with the echoes of awa matches past hanging in the air It's a very special Christmas in the Territories edition, Christmas night 1983 in the AWA. We'll see you on the other side. 